This week on Invasion of the Podcast, I am again joined by El Goro of the Talk Without Rhythm Podcast to finish our discussion of Rising Stars with Volume 3, Fire and Ash. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, uh, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. I almost forgot my own catchphrase. I've not been doing this very long. Uh, my name is Paul, and I'm joined by the El Goro nemesis of crime. Uh, yes, I will take that, though I believe I'm slowly rotting due to radiation exposure, and I may be surrounded by the voices of the dead. So all in all, good times, sir. Good times. <laughs> I mean, you know, just as you go along, you start picking up other people's uh, tendencies, right? We're gonna. We're it's gonna a thing, that. you know? <laughs> yeah. So we should tell people up front, this is going to be volume three of our exploration into Rising Stars, uh, Fire and Ash. Um, I'm going to throw a spoiler. Where's it? Where's my buttons? Uh, I have it here somewhere. Oh man, I'm I'm failing right now. But anyway, you, you, you don't have your intro. You lost your spoiler. What happened yeah, to you, sir? Um, did I? Do, oh, here it is. Hooray! Do you know why they are called spoilers? Yeah, right. So there we go. They're, like I'm looking at my tablet, and there's only like nine buttons, and they're like all like an inch by inch. So you'd think I'd be able to see them. But anyway, so spoilers. If you've not read the first two volumes, uh, go back and like, please check them out. They are still readily available to be found. Uh, but yeah, like we're going to get into volume three and as we spoiled the first two, we're going to spoil this one. So yeah, uh, we're pretty much going to go page by page, even though we didn't say <laughs> that we were, we were going to go page by page last time we were or the first episode. We're probably going to go page by page. Considering, like, that's also like, um, I, I know for, for you and I, I'm not going to go off too far off track here. Uh, I know when you approach media and I know when you do like your show, talk without rhythm, like you do give a synopsis of what's going on, then get into the different areas you want to talk about the film. Sure. And, I, and I know for me, it's like on, on invasion, it's like, we say what we're going to do. We kind of get to it. And then it becomes like a series of like, I don't know. We just pinball all over the place. By the way, thanks, thanks again to Jeff last week of Skewer Universe to talk about uh, Twisted Metal. Um, that was all over the place. But so I, do you find it interesting to actually approaching something kind of linear like in the discussion? Yeah, it is. And, and especially since at the same time we're not – we can still have the freewheeling pinball conversations. We can still follow the whimsy as where it goes. But, uh, yeah, it's just a different approach to the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it serves Terry and myself over a strange highways pretty well talking about an episode, right? But, like, in terms exactly. of, like, a guardrail. But, yeah, this was, like, this was never how it was intended to be planned, but I wanted to do it justice. And I think it's been working out quite well so far. So, And at an yeah. additional advantage, there were plenty of times after I'll finish talking about a movie on Twerp when I realized, huh, there were three different things I forgot to talk about. So <laughs> this, this approach means that it gets pretty exhaustive. Uh, we don't really forget some of the, some of the talking points that we wanted to bring up. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, with that said, like when I was taking my notes today, I went, I, I went issue by issue and just kind of like, I almost, I almost bullet pointed like everything, you know? And I'm like, I can't do that. Like people should just read the book, but my, my notes are pretty, pretty big. So, uh, all right. So with that being said, I'm also going to throw, throw this out. I gotta keep talk right here. It is. This is the official introduction. I've spent my entire life doing nothing but collecting comic books. 
And now there's only time to say, life well spent. And I would say with this, it's been life well spent reading these books. So Heck yeah. Yeah. So uh, before we kick off into volume three, I just want to point out, because we're going to take a break uh, briefly somewhere in the middle of these issues to talk about why there was such a big break between these issues. Uh, so I think that's important when we get there. But we I was documenting as we go along the release schedule of these books. So um, the issue previous, um, oh, what was it? The one, so Change of the World, which is the first one we're going to be talking about, was January of 2002. And um, I have- The other one was uh, the phrase that was from, um, it was a Jewish phrase. Yeah. What was it? Salah. Salah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and that was, let's see here. I have it in front of me right here. Uh, that was September, 2001. So that, that was a few, like a couple months. I mean, again, that's not too bad for the series so far. That's going to change. Yeah. So, um, and then also speaking from last time around, we're now moving into, uh, Brent Anderson being the gentleman's actually going to do the pencils and inks for the rest of the series. And we talked about his uh, legacy being the penciler, for Chris Claremont's God Loves, Man Kills, which is one of my favorite books, and I didn't realize it was the same artist. I will have my opinions about this art for this book, but that's still, you know, still it's a good, at least this guy was consistent and also working with Straczynski and keeping everything, you know, like on course when, when able to do so. so exactly. I, so, all right. And I, yeah. uh, I mean, and we can see that change of approach even from the cover, which is a mixed media where you got, you have his uh, initial art on there, but it's also a live action photo. Though looking at that cover, I think they, they, uh, we may want to retroactively change the title from change the world to John is awful. <laughs> That's a black mirror <laughs> joke. That is, that is a great, great joke. Um, but I do, I do like that cover because it's like, it, it, you know, it does kind of show like, um, you know, change the world. It's like, or we'll change it for you or something to that yep. effect. It's like basically like after the events of the end of volume two, where uh poet and company realize that like, you know, fighting amongst ourselves is doing nothing and we can actually affect change. What can we do? And that's when we had uh, the, the one young lady that was able to actually like, you know, shift the, the sands and fertile ground at the, uh, the end of uh, Selah. And then we also have uh, Jason, a.k.a. Patriot, going around taking all the warheads away from people and having a slight head cold. So Yeah, slight yeah. head cold. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's get into it. So, uh, yeah, uh, speaking of Jason, I, I think, I knowing that you have not read this before and then I knew where it was going, even though it was, you knew there was something going on, let's, let, I'll let you start off with this because th this, this issue is a very, it's, I like that the, we get actually just one person's perspective that's not poet. Yeah, and I, I think that's – they've done that uh, periodically. Yeah. I mean they did that in the early issues as well, shifting the perspective to the various specials. And I do think that helps. And he will continue it for a couple issues that we have remaining. But yeah, it opens up with uh, Patriot, a.k.a. Jason, uh, who's no, Patriot no longer, <laughs> or, <laughs> or Flag for that matter, uh, visiting Matthew. Now, if you recall back into the events of – Oh, when they were fighting in Colorado, Matthew's been in a coma, a, uh, Matthew being bright, the cop special. And Jason has a lot of guilt about that. Now, granted, he, he found out that um, – actually, no, sorry. It wasn't Colorado. It was, it was in the Battle Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. It was the Battle of Chicago where Matthew got um, put into a coma by Jason and while he was being under control by critical, uh, by cr critical mass. So we've seen him visit Matthew in the past. 
But this is the opportunity for him to check, not only check in with his friend, but also, you know, bring him up to speed. And by extension, us as the audience up to speed, because uh, Straczynski has built in various time jumps as we move into the three acts of his story. And I don't know what the I didn't catch exactly how much time had passed between Salah and this but I think it was a decent amount of time, maybe yeah. ten years. It says ten. I, I think I think it's been ten years between each chapter, right? Okay. But there's a point where uh, Jace is talking to Matthew in the hospital, and he says something about like, you know, we've been uh, doing this nightly for the last twenty years. I don't know if that means like that they've always kind of had like a, like a back and forth relationship, or if there was something I was missing because. The the time I mean, maybe that's yeah. how well maybe that's how long he, they've been in the coma because there you can definitely see the aging in that and some yeah. of them it, it is reflected by the change of art into Brent Anderson Brent Anderson but they also make references later on that they're coming in on fifty yeah when that's fair. this series is nearing its end and at this point there's not as there is at least a twelve year uh, time jump that we'll get into yeah <laughs> but uh, they slow it down a little bit. So, yeah, so we got him doing like a catch up for for Matthew because he's doing the thing of like, you know, hey, what do you want to talk about? Old friends. We'll talk about old friends. And we get also to we get him in shadow. We get Jason set in shadow. And also I want to point out that I like when you look at the lettering, it's a little wobbly with his dialogue, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, the rest of it's clean. But his is a little off kilter, you know, in terms of the way they do lettering. And it's like that's I like that little visual determination, right, to show you like, you know, something's not right. And uh, I also like that he's just doing like the like that they're taking care of, of Matthew, like cutting his hair and making sure he has all his fluids and everything and like just watching over him. And as he's talking about, you know, everything that's going on. So he plays catch up. And, and basically we like you said, we learn what's going on with the major players in the meantime. Um, and we find out that um, like Chandra is doing charity shows to bankroll all the specials plans. She invites Jason, but no one ever hears from him anymore, um, which, you know, we, we know we know why later. Um, but I like that he points out that one of her charity shows, um, it, he, she sings Billy Joel's the stranger. And mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. Like, it's just that this is the first time, like something like is directly referenced like that. Uh, and how like she is just getting, she's doing it cause it's the one thing she can do, but she's getting tired of like almost, this is the only thing she can do, but it's also being like the most desirable person in the world to whoever's looking at her and it's wearing yep. her out. Right. So, and that's an, and it's not beautifully illustrated as well with different panels showing her not only in the, how we've uh, gotten used to seeing Chandra as this blonde, blonde bombshell, but we also see her from what looks like an African American woman. We see her as a brunette. Everybody sees her differently because everybody sees her as the most desirable woman in the world, which does bring up a mi- mind to a question of how perhaps a gay man would see her. But uh, I don't know. That's never really addressed. It'd be Billy Zane. That's <laughs> just Billy Zane. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, I've, I've met many gay men that uh, can certainly appreciate the aesthetic beauty of a woman. So it, it would still possibly be a woman. But it's 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 said it goes back and forth in how it's described, whether it's considered to be the most desirable or the most beautiful. Yeah. And, and Poet speaks to it later about her ability. Yeah. I, I think if Straczynski would have thought about it, he would have thrown in a brief bit to show her being like, you know, desirable as a, a male to somebody, you know, like I think he would, if he would have been like, oh yeah, you're right. That does make sense. I think it would, I don't or think perhaps just an androgynous look. That's fair. Right. Like yeah. that, like I think, um, I don't considering what we learned of, um, sanctuary. Yeah. I don't think that like, it's just, I don't know. Like, I don't think he would have been, he's not, I don't think he's making a direct statement about that, but I think that yeah. is interesting to bring that up. 
I think it just yeah. it, it's a, it's a trick that is missed, but a minor one. At oh, that. for sure. Um, but now I like that because we had 113 specials to begin with. You could always have a couple in your back pocket that no one's ever talked about before. <laughs> Which oh. I have heard that as a critique on the series because there's so many that there are specials that are introduced that you think are going to be a big deal and they're not. And then there'll be oh this special just coming comes out of nowhere. You know some of them at least were set up as in the case of and i'm i forget his name but he was uh the guy who showed up in chicago the uh, willie could, right i think could it was willie yeah. yeah who could who couldn't fly very high he at least he was kind of hinted at early on so when he appeared it's like oh we know who this guy is the same cannot be said for brody kempler <laughs> yeah but i do like that when they explain how like why like because they took all the children that were around penderson uh, when that actually, or Peterson, sorry, Peterson, Peterson, whatever, um, Peterson with Peterson, a D. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever, you know, the flash happened and like a lot of people just kind of wrote him off as like a clerical error, meaning like he didn't actually have any powers, much like, um, the one young lady that didn't think that she had anything right. And was able mm-hmm. to revive animals. So, I mean, at least they've set the stage that there were people that grew up around all of them that were part of the same class that they didn't think they were special. And I like the idea. It's like, Oh no, Brody was there. And he was a genius. And then it's like, oh, yeah, people can fly and, like, set fire to things. This guy's just really smart. No one thought of that being special. Yeah. Um, Though, it's one thing that, again, I don't think they bring up enough. and Or it's something that Straczynski only seems to utilize when it's convenient to do so. The fact that, yes, you had the case of Brody, who didn't seem to have a power, so there was a question of whether or not he was one of the specials. Or the case of Kathy, the, who we eventually discover could bring people back yes. from the dead. But they also established that the specials can sense each other. And we have that uh, example of the kid who was faking it, and they knew that he wasn't one of them. They just intuitively knew that he wasn't a special. So that's something that's it's kind of unsaid with Brody that while nobody really knows his power, all of the kids would have been able to know that he was special. Yeah. And maybe, maybe it's like, if you do like a Stephen King analogy of like, if you go from like a, like a, a, from a one to 10, maybe they always felt like he was a one on the, like on the the shine. Yeah. Like, you know, like, yeah, the shinning and, uh, uh, and like, especially with Kathy too, it's like, maybe they were like, well, they're, they're a part of this, but like whatever it is, didn't hit them the same way it hit the rest of us. I don't know. Um, yeah. And they do establish there's wildly different power levels, except after, Many of them have died. Everybody <laughs> yes. started getting even more powerful. Yeah. Like even Shandra could start flying at the end. I'm like, oh yeah, she couldn't fly before. Um, yep. So, uh, but yeah, like, so he's a genius. And then as the specials were dying, he was getting smarter and smarter. And, but also he made it a point to be like, I'm not going to shine a light on myself. I'm just going to, I like the idea is like, you know, he's like, I'm going to invent all this stuff and just release different patents, but I'm not going to like put it under my name to make my money. So people going to leave me alone so that I could just think. Like yeah, the the yeah. anonymous billionaires, don't you miss that when they were a thing? <laughs> There's a lot in this book that I'm like, oh man, Straczynski, if you even knew where we're at now <laughs> with some of the stuff, right? Yeah, like, yeah, like um, uh, Kempler, uh, you, you know, um, Musk wants to be Kempler, right? That's what he wants to be. Like, like, and uh, even Kempler has a better, like, you know, personality. Even for the three pages we see him, <laughs> like, he at least seems no, nice. Musk wants to be poet. I mean, you can see it in the way he dresses. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, so with this, we find out that like, um, you know, he, 
uh, was like suddenly becoming like, you know, be- becoming like not independently wealthy, but amassing a fortune, inventing, inventing, inventing. And like, so Jason's telling Matthew that like that he was releasing stuff until like, like two or three years ago. And then he mm-hmm. stopped. And it's like, uh, but he, before he did that though, he went in public and gave out like, what was it? Cures for over a dozen diseases, like alloys that could make like cars super light and strong or alternative to gas. Like this guy is basically, you know, he, he has solved so much and then he just disappeared, you know? So, um, but then, but Jason's like, I went to go visit him to go like, you know, congratulate him. And I like that there's the unreliable narrator here of him talking to Matthew, um, (laughs) And it's like, cause he's like, yeah, I went to go see him. And it's like, you know, all things considered, he took it pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Whereas we see him <laughs> leaned over a toilet puking. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's not so much the unreliable narrator. It's, it's like, I'm going to give my guy the ideal view of how these stories go. It's like, yeah. And he told me, you know, he can totally fix up my condition and yours. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. So then I, you know, but then he told Brody about what he's been doing, all the warheads. And then the fact that like, um, that, we have Brody basically being like, I can't help. He's like, this is beyond me. That is a, like, I understand that in terms of this comic, like the time, like we always haven't had let time, like things breathe. Cause it's been like, it's been a pretty brisk, uh, brisk pace, right. For this whole, like the whole story as a whole, but knowing Jason and what he's went through, that's a, like a statement when the smartest man in the world's like, it's beyond me. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's one of those things you're like, well, he's done. You know, like yeah. there, there's no turning back on this, but then, um, yeah. So, uh, could we also, I forgot to mention too, he, like Jason went to go see Sandra Singh, but he was off in that rafters, like up, up high. And he was like, I think she sensed me for a moment, which would make sense. Right. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, um, that's when we get into the part here. That's one of the biggest heartbreakers where, uh, Jason starts telling, uh, Matthew about canaries in the coal mine. And yeah, because as we've established, uh, Jason has a wife and he has children and as we've also, in case it wasn't abundantly clear what was going on, <laughs> yeah. because he's been disposing of these nuclear warheads and he's been frequently getting shot at, he's been exposed to a fair amount of radiation and he is slowly rotting. Now, his enhanced um, special physiology means he's still able to do what he needs to do, but and he's he's definitely dying slower than say a normal human would after being exposed to this level of radiation, but he's still dying. And one thing about radiation is it's not just you, you yourself become radioactive and it carries over to other people. I mean, if you ever want to get a sense of that, go watch the the miniseries Chernobyl. They talk all about it (laughs) and him likening it to canaries in the coal mine. When the idea that when you have something so small, and so precious it dies first in the case of this it was his children and eventually his wife because he without knowing it gave them a lethal dose of radiation and then because he also made it a very big deal to 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 shelter them away so nobody could find them and hurt them because he was going to be making these big world-changing decisions Mm -hmm. you know and it's like that is that's a sledgehammer right like it's just it's it's horrific um, but then, uh, so we get that whole sequence, which is just, you know, sad. Uh, and, and then we also talks about John, uh, down in Mexico working on a secret project the last couple of years. And then we get to, uh, Randy, AKA Raven shadow, just going bug nuts along the Eastern seaboard, cleaning up all crime single-handedly. Yep. 
Um, which I, I would, I just, if they could ever just do like a live action, just Raven shadow, just like tearing shit up. Like I, I would be, I would be all about that. I, like, no context, just like two hours of him busting up crime. Whatever. Except that's one of the things that I, I'm sure there would be plenty of cultural commentators that saying, you know, yeah, it's all well and good to break, uh, you know, bust up a bunch of crack houses in a neighborhood. But unless you uh, address the root causes for those crack houses getting up, then what are you really doing other than beating up brown people? Well, that's, and that's fair. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Please. And I, that's one of the things that I like is that eventually he begins shifting his message beyond simply a message of violence against there, but reinforcing the notion of community accountability. Mm-hmm. And he likens it in the term of at a certain point, culturally, we shifted our hanging out into our living rooms and our backyards. Whereas once upon a time, we would hang out in our front yards. By hanging out in the front yards, you have a sense of community. You can see the people down the street. As he says it, you can see the old lady who hasn't come out in two days. You can see see the kid uh, crying because he has bruises and doesn't want to go home. And by seeing that, you become more engaged with your own community and thus more willing to step in. Now, this gives it a rise of various kind of community uh, security organizations that form up that are all wearing uh, his mask, which in a different comic could have definitely turned into a darker kind of context. I, I was going to ask you because the Raven Shadow mask is, is a cool looking mask, but then you see somebody with a T-shirt with the mask imagery on it. It's very it, Punisher. It, it's, yeah. As, knowing how that's been appropriated for the wrong reasons. Um, the, like the what this kind of community watch activity is very akin to like the Black Panthers. In a lot yeah. of ways, right? Like, I'm, I'm not trying to appropriate that in the sense, but like, like they're like, nobody else is going to watch out for us. We're going to watch out for us. And, and it's one of those where I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was Straczynski being a little too optimistic or just being, a, this is one of the times where this kind of the solution felt a little pat that it felt like it wasn't necessarily addressing these, this very real issue, obviously, with perhaps the kind of depth that it needed. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, I, I think, I think it's probably equal parts because it's also setting up his, his, the rest, rest of his arc, what you're, mm-hmm. which, what you've talked about. So, um, because even when like things start going sideways, he's like, I can't go underground because people know me and they know yep. what I do. And so, but it also kind of re- reflects back to the beginning of volume two, where there was that hero worship, uh, sure. specials. Right. So I, yeah, I, I agree. It's a little, there is something people could, you know, I guess there's, it's open to interpretation. Um, it's just, you know, he's taking the symbology of it. Yeah. And I, and I think he is hoping for the best. There's a lot more hopeful stuff down the line that I'm like, well, I think the world's proving you wrong here, sir. Uh, but well, and I yeah. think it does speak to the fact that despite the, despite the fact that this story has some very grim turns. I mean, even in this issue alone, the swings are <laughs> goes from, Hey, highest of highs and lowest of lows. I think ultimately J. Michael Straczynski is an optimist Mm -hmm. and believes in people and believes that good people can fundamentally change the world. And your response to that is really going to come down to whether or not you have that kind of optimistic streak in you. And I'm glad that he has that kind of sensibility because certainly if anybody – could be primed to see to expect the worst in people. I mean, again, read his auto his biography, man. It's yeah, that he he went through some very dark things, but he still seems to ultimately feel that any sort of meaningful change 
And this is something that's going to become uh, much, much apparent as we get deeper into these last couple issues. It's going to come from people. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I agree with that. It's just, I, you know, again, with hindsight, with the series being, you know, as, it's been as long out as long as it has been. We've seen, <laughs> we've seen opportunities, but people have taken the wrong lessons from things. Right. Sure. And also like he's talking about like, and we get to this a little bit later about like how divided like people are like, again, I'm like, he just he had no idea. Like, and yep. just, and how like someone like um, Randy could, easily like just go full on like you know like like you said just going into like you know like poverty areas and beating up brown people and thinking he's making change you know like 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 um and i i mean i'm sure batman is a more complicated character like the way he thinks he's doing but it's like man there's times where it's like i think even uh, there was um what was it a justice league comic once where was it um uh was it a green arrow and green lantern having a fight about like you know like um like bigger issues in street level well, there was it was an issue. I think I know what you're talking it about. It was, actually, it was it was it was an issue of uh, Green Arrow, uh, Green Lantern when they were together, and there was like this thing where. Uh, Green Lantern gets approached by a black man on the street and it's just like, you know, so you're some kind of space cop. You know, I've seen you save the green man. I've seen you save the yellow man. Why have you never done anything for the black man? Implying that, you know, with all your power, you could fix a lot of the terrible things that are happening. In particular, since this comic wasn't too terribly after the civil rights movement of the 1960s and the assassination of Martin Luther King, you could actually do that sort of thing. Why aren't you? Yeah. So I think. I think that social accountability, you know, that, I think it's important. And I think that well, we'll get into more of it later, but yeah, so we get yeah. him, we get like um, Raven shadow and Randy actually having a bigger foothold with the people. Right. And I like, there's the line here when the masks are out nobody pulls anything, nobody. And I'm like, in, in the wrong context, that's, that's a very scary statement. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. But in this context, it's like, hooray, you know, there's not Homer and his uh, gang of vigilantes going around and uh, beating people with uh, like sacks full of doorknobs, right? So anyway, <laughs> that we know of, right? Or beating up the Irish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so then we also find out that Paulson, who has been like the thorn in the side of the specials from the beginning, and that was the one that orchestrated, uh, along with um, Sanctuary's father, the you know that reverend asshole, uh, the the attack on Colorado that caused the surge. Um, he's still about out and about, uh, like older. Like, you know, I'm starting, he, he is definitely towards the end of his life, but he's, uh, you know, still making noise. And I like the fact that he stops talking and then Jason's like, you know, he got quiet. I worry when that happens. Rightfully yeah. so. Cause, uh, Paulson is, uh, not a guy that you want going quiet. Cause you're like, then you can't see what he's doing. And we're going to find out what he's doing here in a second. Um, we find out then Jerry slash Pyre, who, you know, was a villain, uh, for the most part. Um, and then, um, he is actually like taking it upon himself to take out like, like all the South American uh, cocaine industry by himself. Rightfully so. Like, yeah. That's his Which, effect. Yeah. Again, that, that's all well and good, but that's not going to change things unless you uh, deal with some very, very foundational issues, but still we'll, we'll, we'll make certain allowances. Yeah. We're going to put an asterisk on that about the, the, you know, the, like, the, the structures, right? So, yeah. So now he's back in Vegas um, I, I get that he's more working as like a PR guy to show like Vegas is clean, which is bullshit, uh, regardless mm -hmm. of drug, like a cocaine or not. But he also still get the idea. He's still kind of like the silent enforcer. Like you have him around, splash some money, 
Like, you know, like, oh, it's it's Jerry. He's a good dude. He doesn't have eyebrows. Well, for reasons, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do love the fact that, you know, when he fires up, one, they establish he's going around naked because obviously his clothes will burn up, but also the fact that it burns off all of his body hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, like that he's kind of like this, like, you know, he's a celebrity, but he's also a hero. Mm-hmm. And, and like, he's actually redeemed his image. And so then I like that. Uh, was it Jason says to Matthew, like, by, he's like, he's like, huh, that Jerry should have killed him years ago. Just kidding. I thought that was kidding. Funny. Kidding. Yeah. I thought that was funny that, um, that, that Jerry's the one that like, everyone's like, oh, he's going to let, he's going to end up being dead down in the gutter somewhere. And he's like living the high life. Yeah. So, but those are, st- those are words that'll come back to haunt. Yeah. So yeah. then, well, yeah. So then we know that, uh, Jason, like we talked about him dying due to radiation sickness, uh, just took him longer everything going on but then he's being watched because the the government like Paulson and his crew see that since the strongest of them is withering that means that something can can hurt the specials and they started to figure this out and some through some finally thinking of like well this energy that they're all share we don't know about that but radiation can affect them what about an EMP Mm-hmm. And they're like, let's so let, if yeah. we can if we can find a way to block off their energy that powers them, we might get be able to make make them weak. So they have a plan and they're going to test it. They just need and a target. It, yeah. And so, the guy they're going to tar- target is Jerry. Yeah. So that goes on to uh, issue 18, Fire and Ash. So, again, uh, this came out in January 2002. This issue, 18, April 2002, a little longer, not that long for rising star standards, but we'll get there. Like, it's going to it's going to keep dragging out. So, yes. Um, so, yeah, that's when we get Jerry being called up to the top of this casino to talk to the owner. I, I, I also, like... That's I'm not like I've written a little a bit. I'm not a great writer. Like I, all my all my characters sound like me, so they're not interesting or funny or interesting at all. So um, I like the Straczynski when he, he shifts focus to from Jason to Jerry. Like they're both like they're they're both sarcastic in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that Jerry's like, uh, he's like, either I'm getting a promotion or I'm getting fired. <laughs> like, I like that he's more it's just like, I'm so fired, yeah. which is hilarious to me because. They've also established that the specials are somewhat living outside of society. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, again, the lady in Cleveland who yeah. just sat down at the diner and didn't pay for her meal. <laughs> yeah. So I just but like, he's yeah. still concerned about being fired. It's like, dude, you could literally set yourself on fire. I have a feeling Straczynski just wanted to fit a fire pun in there. Yeah, that's true. Because he also makes a pun later. Right? Like He's like, I made it funny. But, uh, but yep. yeah, he gets, he gets called up to the top of the casino uh, by Mr. Antonetti, uh, and, 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 yeah, Antonio, any, whatever. Anyway, Mr. Casino Man uh, says, hey, it's nice to see you. Like, let's talk for a minute. And he's like talking about how he was never a part of the drug trade, but his son got wrapped up in it. And then he got like caught sideways and murdered and shoved in suitcases, you know, whatever ugly scene. And he was like, you know, I couldn't ever pin the people that did it. I now have a lead. He's like, you know, and then Jerry's like, well, what do you want me to do? He's like, well, you know what you do. And he's like, okay. And he's like, you'll be compensated. He's like, I'd do this for free. Cause that's yeah. his goal now. Right. And then he feels compelled. Like I'm like, there's still unfinished business in South America, like with cocaine. I'm going to go do it. Goes away. And then we see Paulson roll out in his, you know, wheelchair and be like, Hey, you know, thank you for serving your country. And it's like, well, you're the one that mucked it up all to begin with by forcing my casino license issues, whatever. And there's the line there. He's like, well, you know, you served your country. He's like, yeah, the last time this happened, there was like uh, 30 pieces of silver involved. Mm-hmm. So even, even this old school casino owner, pretty much mob boss, didn't like how he's being done dirty and also getting rid of his biggest asset. 
Oh yeah, yeah, and right. it's it, it, it speaks to one of the again one of the reoccurring themes that pops up in this piece, and will continue to pop up even for these last couple of issues. It's the men who are getting in the way of this new world and the way that they justify it in terms of in service to country. And they they wrap themselves up in the righteousness of their cause in, you know, preserving the American way of life when ultimately at the end of the day, they're just preserving their own power or they're doing it because they are afraid of what the specials represent, which is at a certain level. It, it, it somewhat limits their characterizations because, you know, a character like Paulson seems very one note. But at the same time, it rings so incredibly true that even in the face of a brand new world of infinite possibilities and infinite uh, kind of grandeur, there's going to be people that are pissed off because they're no longer at the top of the heap. Yeah. And that also speaks to how you, you, you might have all these amazing powers and abilities, but you can't um, like deny the power of leverage. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, as, as much as I, I, I hate, um, like, uh, Batman versus Superman, the, the bit, how like Lex, like they forces Superman into fighting Batman because of Lois, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like basically like, Hey, you could, you could kill me right now, but you know, you don't know where she's at and you got to go kill this, this bat guy. You know, it's like, like there's something there where it's like, you know, if you find enough people that crave what they need, they will, you know, I don't know. It's just interesting. It's like Paulson doesn't have a power, but he has power. And exactly. in this case, it's like, yeah. So, so Jerry, Jerry goes out to South America and it's fun for a minute because like he, he thinks he's got it and he's like, you know, talking shit and he feels nice to be back out in the field and burning off body hair. And, uh, yeah, but then it turns sideways real quickly. Cause he realizes this, this is a cocaine field. Um, and he's been set up, but it's a little too late. Yep. And this is where we actually for a comic that could be at very at, at various times, very verbose. So a lot of writing into it. Mm -hmm. The Straczynski also knows the power of the image and how to set up things simply using art. And we get to see that put on display. And it's actually one of the things that I really do appreciate what Brent Anderson is bringing to the table with his particular art style. And at many times when I was reading these issues, I was actively in my mind contrasting it to some of the early art that we saw when Rising Stars kicked off that was very much in – well, the late 90s, early 2000s top cow tradition mm -hmm. where kind of ultra stylized physiques and just kind of that sort of image coolness to sort of the art. Whereas this style, it's much more grounded. It's yes, these some of these people still look like gods, but they look more true to hum to real life proportions. And considering how serious the story gets at this moment i think that this art style really really does serve it and i do think that anderson has a wonderful sense of composition i mean when we get to those those pages where the emp activates mm -hmm. and it's just that visual countdown and then that that shot of of jerry screaming in agony as his, as he uh, gets hit and then plummets to the ground it's beautiful beautiful mm -hmm. stuff yeah, and this is also – we talked about this before that we're uh, in this time where there was the blending of the – like, you know, like uh, where there was more – there was digital processes brought into this that wasn't available before. And mm -hmm. some of this still works really well here. And there's a bit later that works better with uh, Jason when he's assaulted. We'll get there when we get there. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, like him reaching up and being like, dear God, you know, as he's like, you know, been like, you know, snuffed out, 
Like, you know, it, it like, but him falling to the ground, realizing he's like, I, this hurts. Like, what is going on? Like, that's like, and him, like, you're right. It's very, like, you could have easily made this, you, you, you could have made this life held and you didn't mm-hmm. do it. And I agree with that. And it shows like, um, in a way he's like, they, they kind of just do him like Dr. Manhattan. I know it's a naked guy floating around, but like very much like, yeah, you're a physical specimen, but you're not like, you know, unattainable. You're just a human being. And yep. like in the way that they, like, I think that's right. But yeah, like I like that sequence, him falling to the ground and then him trying to fly away because he still has a little bit of juice and they hit him again. Um, and the way he like that, that kind of wobbly, like cause after they shoot him, he tries to fly away because he still has enough in him power wise to try to get away and they hit him again. And that puts him on the ground and he hears um, someone say, we got 20 minutes. And he's like, okay, I can get, I, I got to survive for 20 minutes. And you almost think it's like, especially as he starts taking out commandos in the jungle. Yeah. Maybe he'll make it. Yeah. I mean, like, com- obviously, completely if you naked, have any, completely naked running around the jungle, taking out dudes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if, uh, obviously, if you have any sense of kind of story structure and the thing, you know, he's not going to make it. Mm-hmm. But there's still that hope until he gets to the clearing. And then we see, you know, a shot of his of his face and it's just lit by light. And then he finds himself in a full firing squad. And I love that last thing where he makes the choice that he's going to go out as a hero. Mm hmm. And especially since one of the things we see as his Z-powered, the flame go out. You know, he starts off completely aflame and then it's, it fl- flutters out. So now he's just human, but or just, you know, regular person. But he still has that flame in his eyes. Yes. He still has that fire. Yeah. And I'm, I'm always primed to appreciate a good badass uh, sacrifice at the end of the thing. You know, impossible odds, but you're still going to go down swinging. And goddamn, he does. Yeah. And the fact that he said, I tried, you know, and like, yep. and we, yeah, we get him being slaughtered, you know, and the, what we'll get to it was it, um, like naked, cold, alone in the dirt, you know, dead. And mm-hmm. they check he's gone. And it's like, they, everybody there wants to like get out of there and be like, okay, let's go. We got to We got to tell people that we got a weapon that can actually like do this. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's it. Like, this is the first time outside of a special killing a special, like the, 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 the normies, <laughs> whatever. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and the surge, the because su- they, the, the, yeah, the, uh, they killed a bunch of them at that point, but not, it's not since the surge when basically every special essentially became unkillable due to their power. That's true. Sorry. Yeah. For, uh, forgive me for the book we're talking about that we read. I wanted you to read. You're right. There was, uh, yeah, hey, but it was like was, two months ago. <laughs> you yeah. can be forgiven. A it's lot been, it's been like, you know, like Straczynski time. That's like two issues. Anyway, I'm kidding. So, um, yeah, no. So like, yes, they now found a way to, hit the harder ones, like the, the more powered ones. So yeah, that's what we go into 19, which that, that, uh, cover, uh, I, I have not read the DC Starman series, but that looks very much like a Starman cover to me. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, and it's also, uh, was the cover is by Brent Anderson and John star with uh, two R's. So I guess yeah. it is a Starman that did that anyway. So, um, so yeah, we get, um, we get, we find out that there, this is called terminal error. Um, so here, this is a big jump. Between issue 18, Fire and Ash, April 2002, issue 19, September 2002. Oh, that's a problem. Missed out all of summer. Yeah. So I remember telling you that I picked up the first two trades and then I started picking up the issues. I still think this was like, this was available for me to pick up. When we get to the last three, those weren't. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get and I was to that. keeping that in mind. And yeah. as you say, we'll get to there to yeah. explain why. <laughs> yeah. So that's still a big gap. So then, um, and I will say too, upon this revisit, um, 
I'll, I'll, you know, I'll save this towards the end. It's it, this thing reads a lot better if you have them all together <laughs> versus sure. waiting. I'll put it that way, right? <laughs> like, yeah, huh? It's almost as if you're like, I want to read the next issue. Nah, you got to wait six months. Whatever. Anyway, so yeah, yeah. So this one's called Terminal Error, which, um, I, in your line of work, you might appreciate that that title. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah. So then, um, so the government thought that they could kill uh, Jerry in foreign soil and make it look like it was related to like him like going to fight the drug trade. Uh, but then we find out that Brody, the smartest man alive, um, was one that actually set an alarm for whenever energy shifts with the specials. And if one of them dies, um, he's alerted and he, he, he does a phone tree. Everybody remember phone trees growing up sometimes like you had to have, like, call people. Um, <laughs> or we could just, you know, mass notify people via emails and yes. then they don't they don't acknowledge them and don't respond. Yeah, like, you know, this the, the snow day phone tree, you know, whatever. So, um, so yeah, there's a phone tree that also calls all people's like, you know, like cell phones and like they have all the specials remaining, like answer, call and say they're fine. So he's able to figure out who's gone. Um, John doesn't answer his phone or sorry, Jason, John answers his phone. Jason doesn't answer his phone because he never answers his phone. Uh, no surprising anybody, but, uh, but yeah. Um, so we figure out that Jerry's the one that's gone. Right. So and then we have Jason, sorry, John poet, be the last person in the tree talking to uh, Brody saying like they're talking because of the project they're working on. We'll get to that in a minute. Brody's like, do you think it's starting? And, and John's like, you know, I don't know. I got to go investigate this. So this is where we get him fi- like finally, like not finally, but like he is pissed and we've know he, we know he's always been standoffish and more stoic, but this is a different side of him. You know, that we see of him where he's like, like, all right, who did this? I'm going to figure this out. And he's starting to fly around faster because he knows Jerry's dead and his powers made him fly faster. So he goes to Vegas, like, you know, toot sweet, figures out that, like, you know, that Jerry went to Vegas, like went to South America and my God, what happens next is uh pretty, um, pretty, pretty much shows that John's done with everybody's bullshit. Yeah. And we've seen elements of that in the past. We know that he has this rage inside him. But uh, we do get to see him a little bit unleashed in this regard. Less than five hours after Jerry's been killed, which is like you think about like the notification wherever. Uh, well, because I think I think John's still in uh, Peterson, right? I think that's kind of where his like home base was for. No, sorry, Mexico. He's in Mexico. Uh, yeah, he's gone down to Mexico, Mexico to work yeah, on his yeah, project. His project. So he goes north to Vegas and then goes back to South America where, you know, you're like, Hey, you could have just told me I could, it would have been faster anyway. So, (laughs) um, you know, so then he gets down there and he's catching up with like, um, people that like, they thought they had time because like, you know, they just killed a special. How would people know it's going to eventually it's going to be found out, but he finds like a, a convoy truck that like they're changing a tire. And like, that's where we get the whole thing where it's like, like whenever people think they have time and when they don't, uh, he's like Brody calls the terminal error, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, these three dudes. Um, it's like, well, yeah, there's three, but like he, John picks up two of them, goes into the sky like a half mile. Huh. This is a this is a hell of a thing. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. So please <laughs> explain this because I I'm sure you took a certain amount of delight out of this. I mean, you, you kind of have to at this yeah. point because again, one of the great appeals of it is these are terrible people. And there's somebody who can actually hold them to account. 
And what he does is he grabs t- he grabs two of them. He pull- goes half mile up in the air, asks them the question. The guy says, you know, screw you. I ain't telling you shit, freak. And then he drops him. And then he has the other one and says, all right, your choice now. Tell me what I want to know. And the guy tells him and it, of how they ambushed him, how they had a weapon that could take out a special, and how Jerry died in the dirt, naked, cold, and alone. And, yeah, poets like, well, he has that brief moment where he's like, I could have, you know, let him go. He told me the truth. I got what I wanted of him. But he repeats that line Mm -hmm. in the dirt, naked, cold, alone. And as he says, he's not in the mood for (laughs) any sort of of mercy. He is out for blood. And we get to see what happens when a military convoy manages to piss off arguably the most powerful special in the world. Not even arguably. He is the most powerful special in the world. Yeah. He's like, we've changed. We won't be hunted anymore, hunted down anymore. And then he just, just goes through that caravan, like boom, right? Just like it is. I mean, we've all seen like acts of power in comics. And I understand that like, um, this is like a little different with this. Cause we see like, we've not seen outside of like critical mass, doing her thing in Chicago, we've not seen this type of like targeted destruction, uh, like from a character and him just running through all of them. Cause he's like, I'm not gonna give him a chance to set up their EMPs. We're done. We're done here. Yeah. And it's, it's again, there is that sort of vicarious thrill that comes from the power fantasy of superheroes. It's the idea of being able to accomplish the impossible in this case, actually being able to hold bad people to account and you you really do you, you, it's a punch the air moment even though it ultimately is him slaughtering dozens if not a hundred people mm-hmm. he does it in such a quick casual way and they don't ling- linger on the violence i mean he does it uh, he go there's a convoy of trucks going through and he just drives through them all causing them all to explode so it's not like they're reveling in the carnage that he is unleashing but it's also it's the implacable nature of him. He is, there's nothing these people can do to stop him. Yeah. Meanwhile, he just keeps repeating that, afra- that refrain of naked, cold, alone, and, and then yeah. burn. And I, you know, burn, right? That, that, yeah. I also like that, like, uh, Brody calls him on his cell phone. He's like, you're breaking up because he's flying so fast now that the phone melts. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the time for talk is done. Yeah. We're done here. Yeah. It wasn't a Nokia because that would have survived, right? Like, That's but, true. Yeah. That's true. Nokias are indestructible. Yeah. They're pretty special. Yeah. So then Paulson, that was part of that crew to actually, because he wanted to witness like the, the, the death of the special because he's had a chip on his shoulder forever. Like he's all, he, he's like the Strom Thurmond for like specials, right? He's like, I don't care. Like I'm going to live forever. I'm going to kill all y'all. Right. So like, but like Paulson crawls out of the wreckage and he's like, you know, like, um, he's like, he tell he tells John strip. He's like, we have a way to kill you now. And he's like, you know, and then John's like, well, why? Like we're going to die of old age eventually. But then it's like, basically like, you can just tell that like Paulson's like, well, you had everything and you, the base, his, his thought process is a little confusing to me, but I think it's more like he kept being like, they're different than me. I want them. I want them done because their power can usurp my power. Right. Cause like, and I think that's ultimately where it comes down to, you know, it's these, these men that are so desperate to hold on to the power that they have, that any sort of challenge to that Mm -hmm. is to be met with violence and it doesn't matter if the these people are benevolent 
as they've ultimately proven to be because, you know, this is the new world order that John and the other specials are trying to impart. They're doing good for the world. It's because they represent something that cannot be dominated for a certain class of asshole that cannot be tolerated. Yeah. So the Sepulsion, like he, he just, he eventually stands up and was like trying to bitch at John and has a sudden heart attack and dies. And then like, um, Oh, what was it? Something, there was a line there where like, uh, John's like, Oh, like he thought about something for a second. He's like, look at me growing. I didn't even say he was dead wrong. <laughs> that was like for somebody that is like not a very humorous character. That was like, that was, he's like, I'm growing. <laughs> After all of this, and he ends up getting a great comedic moment here in a minute. Like, but I like, uh, but yeah, so that, at that point, um, and he, he said, you know what? And he even like, he was started monologuing to the dead pulse and which whatever I get, it, it's a comic book, right? It's what, it's what you do. Like there's already a, um, a fallback plan in place where like once it's like once they figured that there would be a point where maybe people could figure out how to, to take out the specials, John and Brody figured out a way. Well, if that's going to happen, we have a contingency plan, which is for all of us just to melt back into society. You won't hear from us again. That's it. But also yep. the part of it too is like, we're going to like inspire, like, like change and hope still by like the common man, be able to like meet the challenge. And he says uh, that we can all be like, that we are all heroes, that we all fly, that we're all capable of greatness and mercy and an unimagined strength, which speaks to you saying about Straczynski being ultimately a hopeful person. Like he's, he's almost kind of like setting the stage for like that, like was that, that action comics cover of Superman saving somebody with a car, right? Like the mm -hmm. first, like the first, like the whole thing of like, you know, like, um, yeah, you're not going to know who we are. We're going to melt into the background. And if somebody suddenly saves the day, like we're the common man, we're going to make everybody believe they're heroes because they can be. That speaks mm -hmm. to your statement about like, that's where change happens. But, um, but yeah, uh, he's talking to a dead Paulson. But then at that point, uh, at the very end of this, of this issue, we realized that like, um, there's one special that is very vulnerable and that's Matthew. So yeah, because what, he yeah. can't just disappear. He's in a coma. <laughs> yeah. So then we go like, so the next issue, which is one month later. So credit to them. Hooray. Right. So we go to a blood calls out for blood. Uh, so that's when we have a uh, Jason in his fortress of solitude, which I, you can't tell me that Straczynski's not pulling a parallel. Again, he's a huge Superman fan. I mean, of course he's right. doing it. Of course he's doing that. Uh, he believes his job is finished because he can't feel any other nukes other than the one he left per each country. Yeah, which, and let us also yeah. appreciate that, you know, this is Jason on a quest for peace. Fair, yes, yes. Um, oh, you caught me you caught me mid-drinking. I thought you were going to say more, but yes, absolutely. No, no. I am. Uh, yeah. Again, Straczynski putting his Superman stuff right on display, except, you know, his Superman is turning into a skull-faced rotting uh, corpse due yeah. to radiation exposure. Yeah, super skull man. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so he, he actually thinks that he's almost done. And so then he ends up checking his answering machine. <laughs> like, I think that's what it is, right? Like, he, mm -hmm. like you know, whatever. Anyway, so I'm glad that that's a thing that was still happening at this point in 2002. Um, yep. While also revealing uh, the fact that while he's uh, gotten rid of the majority of the nukes in the world, he's left every nation with one, one. nuke. Yes. And it's the idea that if everybody has one, it fits into the politics that everybody was talking about, nuclear disarmament, whilst also still giving them a sense of having a deterrent. It's the idea everybody already has one. So we can still, you know, blow each other all to hell, but we can't destroy the world. Yeah, I think that's because the whole thing is like, well, 
if one decides to pull the trigger, then the, 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 the whole can like, like collapse them and still not destroy the world. You know, yeah. like I think that's, again, it's smart writing. And I think that's very fair. Uh, and I do like the du- the dueling headlines of Pakistan to India. We still have one nuke left. India to Pakistan. So do we. Yeah, if you know, you know. <laughs> you do. <laughs> so do we. And also, we have more cricket bats than you. Like anyway, I don't, anyway so <laughs> so yeah. So then uh, we get the, the whole thing is that like people like the the like um, Paulson's group is counting on uh, Jason to show up to Matthew's uh, like room. And they, it's a, it's a trap because even Brody's like, listen, I want you to know that everybody's going underground. I can't do this for you because of reasons, meaning you, you're a rotting skull face man. Like you can't and, go hiding. Yep. And it's important for them to actually take down Jason in this, not only because he's been going around stealing their nukes, but they know that if they could get a hold of him and they can put his rotting visage on the news that public opinion will turn against him because people will see him as a monster. And he's like, hey, this is the guy who's been stealing our nukes. You know, he, he was never a hero. He was a villain all along. Just look at him. So, yeah, I mean, despite the dangers, Jason's still going to go uh, try to save Matthew. And, of course, they hit him with that EMP, but he still manages to make his way into Matthew's high-rise uh, hospital room. Even though he's been depowered and shot several times, he refuses to give up. <sighs> Yeah, it's just, it is, it's a hell of a thing, right? Like, I mean, again, this is your first time reading it. Like, how did that hit you? Oh, it's, it it was wonderful because I love the tragic arc of it all for Jason. You know, not only does he start out the series as as the ostensible villain of the piece, you know, this douchey guy working for the corporations, we find out he's murdering people, but then Straczynski introduces the turn, introduces the fact that he was not in control of himself that it was critical mass that was doing it and this is his attempt at redemption and that's why he's been made to suffer as much as he has because he has a lot to atone for and again it's the the complete unwillingness to give up it's the same thing that we saw with jerry it is that that punch the air i will never give up and during the course of it, as he's being gunned down by so many special forces guys and blood is splattering everywhere, we get these three panels of blood splattering on uh, on Matthew's arm and then seemingly the blood getting absorbed into his arm. Meanwhile, uh, J- uh, Jason is on his last breath. He, all, all these guns have pointed at him and he still puts out, you know, a defiant screw you. But we also see Matthew's fist clench and that's where it goes right over to pure art before that like the bit that even even jason at the end there like i was talking about like using the digital assets to make panels work there's this blur of him still moving fast and like taking out people and it's like even even after getting emp twice he's still so strong and like that he's able to be like nah we're we're not doing this well i mean he's the second most powerful special after after poet yeah but then, you know, like he is like, you know, gunned down and then we get bright, uh, you know, no pun intended, sorry, pun intended with the name, right? Like, uh, yep. yeah, Jesus woke up <laughs> yep. and, yeah. and Jesus is pissed. pissed. And again, that, that, <laughs> he's that. tossing the money changers out of the temple right now is what's going on with this. 
And that one, that just full page depiction of him just glowing there, you know, his eyes completely white, the power that surrounds him. Ah, it's so good. Yes. It's just so good. And I like that. Um, what was it? Uh, uh, Jason says something. It was like, oh, he's like, that's the sound of eight guys crapping themselves at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) And for justifiably, because Matthew dismantles them very, very quickly. You know, they try to rev up their EMPs. Nah, he already knows what's going on. He completely wipes them out because that's the thing to point out is that he's been in a coma for a long time. So he had, he's more powerful now. Because Jerry also died, so he absorbed some of that power. Yeah. You- but also, too, he also has talked about, like, hey, I listened to everything you told me over the years. I just couldn't couldn't respond. He's like, until your blood hit me, he's like, it was like, like it was like, um, like completing a circuit. Yep. Meaning he was, and it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a rough explanation to yeah, it. It's, it it's, it's very kind of deus ex machina, but you know what, if it gave us a moment that cool, I'll, I'll allow it. That's, I agree with that. Right. But it's like, you know, cause there's also, you talk about like this connection that they all have. So we, we've never dealt with one of them in a coma. Mm-hmm. So who knows that maybe there's that collective consciousness going on. Yeah. So like, yeah. So yeah. So then uh, bright is like, nah, we're all, we're good. I love the whole thing. Like he just goes rushing out of that tower, dropping dudes. And then like, he just <laughs> like, he's like, grab, like, like uh, Jason's like, grab, will take care of that. It's like, I'm glad to see him in action again. I'm like, hell yeah. And then just, yeah. But I also like that. He's like, by the way, by the way, uh, you know, Matthew, I just want to let you know, I, uh, I put up in the upstairs of this tower that I didn't know that this was a thing before, but I'm going to tell you right now. Um, I have all the information about where all the nukes are. Um, and also video footage of everything going on, which you would think that I'm so radioactive that everything would melt around me, but we're not going to talk about that. That's um, not, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe everything's properly shielded. I don't maybe. know. I don't know, <laughs> but it does give us an opportunity to take an obvious, uh, George W. Bush, uh, to task for trying to oh. present the false narrative of the specials going rogue mission accomplished. Yep. And it's, it's very clear. They intended this to look like George W. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, what's the, a Monroe president Monroe. Right. So yeah. yeah. But then as he's trying to blame, cause that was the, the narrative, right? Like, Oh, the, the, the weirdo Jason, the toxic Avenger attacked us or whatever. And then we get like bright. Oh my goodness. That's, that's one of those most like bad, badass moments. Before we get to that though, I like that. Um, it's a very heartbreaking bit where, you know, Bright's talking to 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 Jason. He's like, "Oh man," and Jason's like, "No, no, no, I'm good. I I get to go see my wife and kids now." And he like the very end, he's like, um, "Forgive me." Mm-hmm. And then he dies, but then Bright's like, "I forgive you." Like that's yeah. like it's so earned, right? Yep, it's yeah. a wonderful, wonderful arc for his character. Yeah, so then we get Bright busting into the president's speech, power move, holding the dead body of Patriot wrapped in American flag. He's like, this man is a liar and I can prove it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Right. Anyway. Yeah. And again, full circle, the fact that, you know, when we first introduced to the character of Jason, he was in the, in the, the colors of America. He was yeah. referring to himself as flag or, and uh, Patriot. And then the last time we see him is him literally wrapped up in the American flag. Yeah. I, it's just, you know, in the parlance of the thing that, you know, uh, it was the wrestling pop of like, Oh, oh so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then issue 21, so that came out in uh, January 2003, so three months, three, four months, whatever, still not that bad. <laughs> That's about to change. Uh, mm-hmm. Conversations on the Hill of Dreams, 
Uh, we get uh, John seeing the news of everything going on while in Mexico. His current squeeze looks a lot like Chandra. Uh, Enough but, so that I, at first when it started, I thought she was. That's the point, right? Like, yeah. 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 So, but she's more of like, um, not trophy because it was like expendable affection where it's like, that's what he describes it as like, like they understand their relationship. Like, cause eventually when, when Randy's like, how, like, how's it going with her? He's like, you know, on and off. It's more off right now. <laughs> Whatever. Like, mm-hmm. cause some, it's like coming and going more going right now. It's like, you know, that John like wants companionship, but He's, it's not the right thing, right? So she'd rather. There's also the line too. He's like, you know, oh, someone's coming, and she's like, not me. I'm like, oh, 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 got him. Like, like, like that is that, that's some saucy dialogue now. Like, True. like, how do you sneak that? How do you sneak that into a comic at that point? Well, I mean, to be fair, the Top Cow comics were never uh, submitted to Comics Code. Well, good. And yeah. at this point, I believe this is when Marvel started started dropping the comics code in general. So you could get away with this kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, but it's like that's a really good double entendre. I, oh, it's, I, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful line. <laughs> but so so then Randy shows up uh, to meet John, and then because uh, he didn't go underground, but everybody else did because he's like my like people know me. I'm like, of course, like you know. I also like that that Randy slash Raven Shadow is basically like, hey, I'm Bruce Wayne and Batman. Just deal with it. Like, yep. <laughs> and a, another another uh, point in the credit for Anderson's arts, because yeah. we established in the last arc that uh, John and Randy are half brothers mm-hmm. due to the uh, infidelity <laughs> on their respective parents. Um, but I think Anderson, in my opinion, he's one of the first artists to actually draw them looking similar. That's fair. because there was a. I remember there was a line where it's just like, "Don't you ever wonder why you guys looked alike?" It's like, well, technically, how they were previously drawn, they did it look alike. So, <laughs> which is we weird be because forgiven were, for not drawing that connection. There was a lot of people that kind of looked the same, and there. Anyway, it's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. A lot of dudes kind of yeah. look the same, but yeah. Anderson has the sense he doesn't draw them identically, but he draws them similarly enough that mm-hmm. you can see a family resemblance between the two of them. And, and, and also credit to Straczynski. I like that, that Randy still like, I don't know, like his dialogue is the, the funniest of the entire series. Like his, yes. his asides are great. He's, he's like the, like just, he just will say the dumbest thing and I love it. But like, um, that's what yeah, the whole, I'm, I didn't, John, I didn't work to make myself the nemesis of crime and I'm having that yeah. phrase tri- copyrighted. So don't <laughs> even think about using it. That's yes, right. <laughs> so then, uh, cause John won't tell Randy what his project is, but Randy figured out like, Hey, Brody stopped releasing inventions. It was three years ago. And suddenly you're down here in Mexico work goes open three years ago. Like it, like, like it doesn't take much to figure out two plus two equals four here, you know, like that whole thing. So, um, and then that's when John's like, Hey, I remember the Peterson flash. And then like, you know, Randy's like, well, we all kind of do. And that's a flashback. And it's a really cool flashback to where they were all in like high school and we get the doctor. I forget his name, but he was like, Hey everybody, remember the draw something that you remember for the first time. And he gives them all crayons, like everybody's classroom. And then like they, they all turn their pictures down they leave. He flips them all over. It's a really cool visual because it looks like the big, like, you know, like comet meteor thing. Yeah. The like, explosion, but it's all, everybody drew a piece of the explosion and when all laid out just so perfectly, it recreates that image. And I love uh, from the layout perspective that they use the traditional nine panel layout, mm-hmm. which is like, 
uh, superhero comics 101 you know that nine panel thing is just such a thing but they're breaking down how it works where you'll even in the page uh, before that you'll see somebody's arm cross that panel line mm -hmm. so they're using it as the construction and then when it does the big one sheet of the reveal of it we still see the echo of that nine panel but it's broken outside of that particular format. The art has gone beyond the nine panel format. It's it's wonderful playing with the composition that I, I really do appreciate. So Again, when you say the nine panel, Anderson. That, that feels very Watchmen, right? Very like, much so. Well, because yeah. uh, uh, what's his name? Gibbons and, yeah. uh, and with instructions from Moore, they had that issue, uh, Fearful Symmetry. Yes, the, the, the middle the middle issue of the series, right? Like, yep. The, yeah. Where the entire issue was done in a nine panel format, and then they mirrored the two the two sides of it, so it uh, they come together in the middle. Yeah. So with this, like that splash, it's it's a very um like I understand that's been almost like a trope now. Like there was um, an episode of the X Files early in this like the series where somebody was like drawing things. And they eventually did it all out. And oh like, they, yeah. Where they yeah. were drawing from like the static. And then when they looked at it from above, it was a girl's face. Yeah. Right. So I, like, haven't, I haven't watched the X files in so long, but I still remember that issue. I don't, know that if, I don't know if they were drawing. It was more like they were writing ones and zeros, right? Exactly. Like, but when they yeah. view it from, a, they yeah. were drawing ones and zeros and, or just what looked like lines from static. Yeah. But then when they laid it out, it, it composited to make a girl's face. And I'm sure if I asked Stephanie, she could tell me exactly <laughs> what episode it is. She's it's one of, it's one of the early seasons episodes i don't yeah, but yeah but it was a cool visual and that's a cool visual here too right because yeah. it uh, it speaks to what we we're talking about earlier about that connection right but then but then john's like no 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 no. i i remember the moment of conception it's like well that's weird like you know like look who's talking now poet uh no but like he remembers like the the flash and the influx of like energy and knowledge and mm -hmm. but so like that's hinting to something a little bit later but I like that um, that Randy's like, hey, while I'm down here seeing you in Mexico, is I need to see Lionel. Remember Lionel, the guy that could talk to the dead people that seems like upset that dead people won't stop talking to him? Fair enough. Um, he's like, and then I love, I love this bit where he's like, he's like, well, why do you want to see Lionel? And then Randy tells him why. And it's one of my favorite parts of the series because Randy's like, I want to run for president. This is the first time we see John like actually like break. Show some emotion because he just starts <laughs> laughing so hard. It's like, you want to be president. All right, bro. Yeah. It was amazing. I love it. He's like, there was the time where it's like, you could tell he's going to laugh till he hurt. Right. Yeah. And then Randy's like, no, 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 I'm serious. I thought that was really, really funny. I loved it. But then he's like, no, no, no. I need to talk to Lionel. Cause I'm going to do this anyway. But like, I have money, but I don't have political clout. Clout mm -hmm. is power. It's leverage, which we've talked about previously. Yep. And, and so they, I like that we find out that, um, that, uh, Lionel and John have worked it out where like, he was like, you know what? I'm tired of like dead people talking to me all the time. Can I just go somewhere? And they found a place that where people had never lived so they could never die. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, um, so they went to somewhere in Ohio. I'm kidding. No, yeah. um, <laughs> the frozen wasteland it's of Ohio. <laughs> Probably near Toledo. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, wherever they go, it's like somewhere like northern and cold, right? And I also like that Lionel is a bit of a shedhead. <laughs> surprise, yeah, he's, surprise. He's, 
He's developed wild hair and a beard in his bit of isolation, which made me think that if I ever went into some sort of secluded isolation, I already have a wild and crazy beard anyway. Yeah. So the best I can grow out is maybe straggly hair. And that's <laughs> that'd be like the only visual cue that I've dropped oh. out and become some oh. sort of recluse. Wouldn't you be similar to I forget the gentleman's name that was like the ghost and ghost that was on the subway? Like- I mean, we have we would have a similar hairline. <laughs> You know, like, I already have the crazy beard, so it's either that or um, Devin Townsend, the uh, the originator and, in my opinion, the perfecter of the skullet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just him and Hulk Hogan. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, right. But I just like also like it's like oh yeah, you know, Ted Kaczynski. What if this guy? But he could talk to dead people. That's (laughs) like like. but, But also like I think that's the natural evolution of like. I think you would be kind of like at your wits end, right? Like if like you're worried, like I like that we find out we, we get caught up. But like, I also like that Randy's like provided commentary. He's like, all oh, this place is not upsetting at all. And then John's like, you're this guy could talk to the dead. You're commenting on the aesthetic. <laughs> like, I yeah. love, I just, again, Straczynski's peppering in the humor. And I think that works. And Randy's Randy's a great outlet. I love that. Right. So I love, but also when we meet Lionel, he keeps like, like he, like it's almost like the the Charlie Day meme from like it's always sunny, right? Like where he's like with the like the the yarn board, like the Pepe Silva thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but he has if he had any more stacks of paper, he'd be the film critic from Cigarette Burns. I I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> and this like, is I'm why almost we, done with it. This is why we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and it also speaks into kind of the larger thing that they're talking about because earlier on in this issue. Poet begins introducing the notion of kind of the logic behind of their powers yes. and the idea that each of them contribute something. So what does somebody who can speak to the dead contribute? Well, he's the keeper of the memory. He can speak to the, he can speak to those who came before and learn from that. And unlike poets who knows how to put it into a narrative that people would actually want to read, Lionel actually just keeps on just disgorging it out that what he has surrounded himself with is this grand narrative that is completely without shape or structure. That's something that only poets can really. That's fair because like that John told Randy earlier, he's like, you know, we all have powers. You need to get a world or civilization civilization going. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what if the flash was here to finish what was, what it started? So, and Randy's like, I don't know about this. Like, like he's like commenting on poet as well, but yeah. So then like the whole thing where it's like, I like that Lionel's like, yeah, um, I'm a little kooky. Um, supplies are sent to lower to the mountain. I go fly down and grab them. Um, and, um, people think I'm a demon, but whatever, uh, it's fine. But then he, whenever, like when Randy tells him what he wants to do, I like, again, I love that there's that bit in writing in comics where the characters know what's going on, but we don't know exactly what's going on. But, um, whenever he, but I also like whenever Randy tells, uh, Lionel he's running for president, he's like, you think I'm crazy. I thought that yeah. was funny too. Like nobody <laughs> believed that Randy could win. Um, but yeah. So then, um, but then the whole thing is like, they're going to go like Lionel agrees. They go to DC. They find uh, a cemetery nearby. I, I don't know which one. It's, it's not probably Arlington. Arlington. I mean, well, that's in Virginia. Well, it's Virginia, DC, whatever. Right. So yeah, Close enough. Where, wherever JFK is buried. Cause that's the big thing. And Lionel's like, okay, give me a minute. This is going to be bad. Um, I was like the line of like, I'm around a bunch of people that are just used to people listening to them. Meaning like, that's just what politicians do is talk. So it's, it has to be even extra pressure for all the dead people. He's like, leave me here till dawn. 
leave me alone. When I open the door, leave me be. And there's a bit where Randy and John fly away and John's like, I hear him scream and it's like forever. Yeah. Like, it goes it on for a long time. Agonizing. <laughs> But, but he understands like the cost. Cause like, but there's also the thing too, they, they talk about like the last time Lionel opened the door, he saw something that scared him. Um, you, I like again, not to go too farther into other things. Did you, you talked about, um, you've read the, the, the one shot, like the spinoffs. Did you read the five of the Lionel one or no? I did. I did get to that. So late after uh, Rising Stars completed, there were a series of different spinoffs that were done that were written by uh, Fiona Avery, uh, who I was actually somewhat familiar with some of her later comic book work. She did. uh, She created the Spider-Man spinoff character Aranya, if you remember her. No. Which character is that? Uh, The character was named Aranya, but I think later she became a Spider-Girl. Okay. The one in the black suit. I don't know. There's so many spider people these days. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's so, a valid statement, but, yes. But uh, she wrote she wrote a series of spinoffs after Rising Stars had completed. A uh, three-issue uh, run that called Bright that was following the, as you could tell, the story of Matthew Bright and the story of how he was pretending to be a normal cop in, uh, in New York. And then he got revealed that story is laid out there, but she also did a six issue series called voices of the dead, which was following Lionel. And that story was set before he went onto the mountain and got grew out his beard. And that was an interesting story. And so far that it, it started off very much feeling like a horror comic. Because what's his power? He speaks to the dead. And it starts going into some cosmic stuff. It fits into... It's definitely something you want to read after the story is completed. Mm -hmm. uh, After Rising Stars is completed. Because the very last two issues of it do speak to some of the stuff that is going to happen. And do do speak to other government uh, entities that aren't touched on in the main series. But it kind of adds a little bit more thing. I'm of the opinion the... Six issues could have easily been distilled down to four. And I honestly think it was stronger when it was basically a self-contained kind of ghost story of Lionel Zurb, a paranormal. He refers to himself as a ghost in, uh, interpreter. So it's him interpreting the the will of the dead. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was good in those beginnings, but it kind of spiraled out a little bit at the end. So that was written after this, but it's like, I think that because when we got to the earlier part in, in volume one where – he was like he like him and the gentleman that could like walk the dream walker that died. Mm-hmm. Like they found out that like bright, so not bright. Um, Jason Patriot was the one responsible. Like, and that's like, Oh shit. Like that, that's why the dream walker died. Cause Jason came and killed him. Um, I didn't know if that's the thing that scared Lionel. That was the thing that was hinted at. I don't know if that was in the series or not. I've not read it. I, not I, so much. Okay. Uh, it was something, it was basically something else. Okay. Um, and it's something that, Really, you don't need to know it in order to appreciate the story. And something gets uh, brought up in that side series that takes it into a completely different tangent that really will never we will never see any payoff of. Okay. Because it's not something that's discussed in the Rising Star series, and it's not something. It may maybe it'll be uh, touched on in um, Fiona Avery's next piece that I haven't read yet, uh, which is called Untouchable. Which is all about uh, Laurel Darkhaven, the, uh, Darkhaven. The, the, the the very yeah. small TK lady. Yes, I so yeah, I, I need to read those those, but I did not get to this for this, so I apologize to everybody. And like, look look at the Elgoro, like he's never read anything. He, now he's now past me and all yeah. this. So anyway, <laughs> I just didn't know if there was something hinting at the fact that like Lionel was like 
the last time he really did this, he saw something that scared him. But I mean, to be fair, if you if if you saw the dead person that was the Dreamwalker seeing Patriot killing everybody, maybe you wouldn't want to get into the shit anyway. So that, yeah. that's a that's a big deal, right? So anyway, overnight he absorbs all of the knowledge, and when they find him, like uh, when we get to uh, Randy and um, John finding him, they're like, "Oh, f- damn, he's dead." Nah. Just he's consumed too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's like he knows who kills Kennedy. Both of them. <laughs> yes, it's it's like it's like he took the microfilm from the rock that yeah. uh, Nick Cage found. Right? <laughs> it was like I know everything. So yeah, see that's that's why Nicolas Cage went so crazy later on. Yes. He read the microfilm and he went insane. Yeah, have you ever seen the pilot for Heat Vision and Jack? Yes. Was, yeah, that's why I feel like I feel like he's like leave me alone for the night. And then when the sun comes in, I know everything. I feel like that's what's going on with him. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so he knows enough. He knows plenty for like clout. So then uh, the three of them go to, I, I love that they go to a diner that like not many people died around. So the voices are less. And I love that like, like, um, like John's like, okay, we're going to order some food. And like, like Lionel's like, yeah, uh, bacon and eggs, hold the corpses. That's a great line. I love that. But while Randy's running away to go grab a notebook, credit to him, like, you know, a spiral notebook that you can never go wrong. Lionel's like telling John, he's like, hey, um, there is a person that died recently that was an intelligence person that knows what you're doing in Mexico. I'm not going to tell anybody, but I want you to know that I know because that means yep. somebody else knows. And then Randy is like, he's excited, you know, like because he now has leverage. So that's what that's what finds out. So that that issue. Um, the one we just talked about, it is, so this is where we're going to get into this slight pause. We're not going to get into this too much, but I think it's worthy of note. So issue 21, which I just mentioned previously here, um, came out January 22, sorry, 2003. I was going to say 2023. That's not fair. 2003. Um, at this time, um, top Cal thought that they were able to like, um, kind of come and go as they please with the rights and discussions of a film for rising Mm -hmm. stars. And Straczynski's like, no, 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 no. This is mine, right? I have it. Well, he had it written in his contract that any script and any sort of project based onto it, he had to have, you know, he had to be able to take a look at it at the very, very least. Yeah. And And that's not what's tried to go around him. Yeah. So then they um, said, hey, so after issue 21, everything stopped because he's like, I'm not going to give you the last couple scripts because this is what's going on. He's like, you're going to try to like actually negotiate a, a rising stars film without me. Nope. You guess you're not getting an ending. So, then, um, so after communication broke down, he held back the scripts for the last three issues and the entire comic was put on hold. In addition, once everything got resolved, uh, in addition to apology, uh, for the way Straczynski was being treated in regard to the possible film top gal, uh, relented by giving him the full rights to an anthology comic he had written called dream police, which I I'm not familiar with that, but it got published by Marvel, um, as well as rights to the name and logo for Joe's comics imprint, which, which in fairness is something that he should have had access to anyway. If you mm-hmm. take the, the spirit of top cow, which came out of image 
how it sh- was supposed to be originally organized. The idea with the founding idea of image is that it was one company, but it was a company that had their own sub labels and though the creatives had their rights to their sub labels. That's why, uh, um, Jim Lee was able to sell wild or what was it? What was his company? Wildstorm. Wildcats? Wildstorm. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Why he was able to sell his, the characters he created for Wildstorm to DC because he had the rights to them. Yes. They were image books, but the, from the jump, it was always supposed to be creator driven. And at some point, Top Cow, which Top Cow was an extension of which creative? I forget the company that uh, was found. Oh, it was Mark Silvestri. They felt they forgot that that was how it was supposed to be organized. Mm-hmm. And while Top Cow was its own thing, it was still a subsection of image and by rights should have been bound by the same ethos of image. But at that point, you know, a lot of them had kind of gone a little bit far afield, except Eric Larson, who we always appreciate for staying true <laughs> to the image thing. He just kept making comics. He kept. Yep. That got gradually more kinky as it went along. 1, but hey, ep- at least they were 1,000 issues of Savage Dragon. Yep. So, yeah. So January 2003, which is when I was on board. And then I had to wait, <laughs> like me walking in like every month. I'm like to my local comic shop. I'm like, "Hey, new Rising Stars are like, nah." So I gotta put I, I gotta put this to you. You covered um, Battle Royale like well, like five years ago on your show. Oh yeah, yeah. I mentioned to you the manga, uh, hmm. which like I have like what was it all 13, 14, 15 volumes? That was another thing that kept getting delayed because of issues and translation things. Sure. It took me like four or five years to get all of them. <laughs> like, so I kept waiting. I'm like, what's going on? So aside from this, from that, this was the other one. I'm like, is rising stars ever going to finish? <laughs> it was a thing <laughs> by this time I got hooked. Right. So then, so then, um, so we go from the issue we just talked about, which was January, 2003 to November, 2004. <laughs> Well, I, I, I seem to have good luck with this sort of thing, and it helps that I, t- I, t- I can uh, tend to come into some things late. Uh, for example, uh, one of the big things that I'm a, I'm a huge, huge fan of now is uh, Kentaro Miura's uh, manga Berserk, mm-hmm. which originally started publication in 1990 and went all the way to, um, well, sadly, uh, 2021 with the death of Kentaro Miura. Uh, with the that was the last of his stuff was released however there was a time so that i mean that was a long running series as you could imagine but there was a time for i'm trying to figure out the gap they refer to it as the boat years it was four years there were four three or four years that separated the release of two volumes of that manga where people were just stuck on a boat (laughs) (laughs) because he needed to take a break and work on other things and he basically uh, left Berserk sitting for like four years. Oh, now that yeah. I wasn't reading the book at that time, so when it came time for me to read it, I just went right on to the next volume. Oh no, you're describing the just the 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 gap between um, the Wastelands of the Dark Tower series, yeah, and yeah. Wizard and Glass, where everyone's like, "Oh, everybody's stuck on Blaine the Train." Right. Yep. And where's when it I, going? When I, and when I started uh, reading the Gunslinger series, he had just released book six, <laughs> so I didn't have to wait very long. But for oh, whatever reason, yeah. actually, after I actually stopped reading the series for quite a few years after Wizard and Glass because that one had such a downer ending. 
that it's like because I read I read the first four books like mm. in a row, and I finished Wizard and Glass when I was actually had a terrible fever, and then I set it down, and it took me several years to actually go back, and I actually restarted the series and then finish it. Yeah, like, I read the first three while I was in high school, and then I, like it was like I was like a sophomore, junior in college when that fourth book came out, which is like all things considered. Not the biggest gap. Right? No, but, not so but, bad. But everybody was sitting on that train forever. Right? Like, so train, boat, I get it. But with this, yeah. Um, yeah, we waited a while to get into the last three issues, which is an arc. Uh, so issue 22 is called uh, Phoenix and Ascension, Ascension Part 1. Uh, so yeah, it's the beginning of the end, right? So then we... Um, we fast forward to the end a little bit, which is what we've always been doing from the start of the, the series where John talks about being the last one, but he also believes that he was the last because he had the ability to tell the story, which is funny because he's not a good poet, but it sounds like he's a good writer. Did you also like some of the releases on the sh his shelves were like referencing, uh, titles of comics yeah in born in fire Selah. <laughs> yeah so then we find out that um at this point randy runs for president 2008 loses all right 2012 he loses 2016 he runs again and I, i'm putting my notes here if only well i mean he was running against obama those two times so <laughs> <laughs> but i'm like ah. Just, you know, <laughs> yeah. anyway, so then he's losing again, like three weeks, but like he decides like, you know what? I'm going to fire my staff. Like we're done here because he like, he's done listening to like what they tell him he should do. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm just going to go be me. And then he goes and like, I like the idea. He's like, goes full on Batman, like crazy. And he's like, and I like that. Like, like that John's like, I think he wanted something he could actually like, like affect and punch. <laughs> I mean, at a certain point, you've been you've been camp campaigning for like twelve years. Yeah, you just kind of want to go out and punch. <laughs> yeah. So then, then it was it ended yeah. up being essentially the the moral failings of his two opponents implied to be because he's running third party. You know, the Democrat. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't say which parties they were from, but it was the idea that the challenger to the uh, president uh, was being blackmailed yeah. by a call girl. <laughs> And so the president uh, hires a, uh, a black bag operation to steal that evidence from the call girl's apartment. The call girl uh, comes in on the theft. The, the burglar pulls a gun and kills the call girl and is promptly arrested. And so he flips, revealing the whole thing that he was hired by the president to get dirt on, the, uh, on the, his opponent. So as they say, on election day, the people had to choose between a murderer, an, ad an adulterer slash blackmail victim and a superhero it wasn't even close <laughs> so i'm gonna i'm gonna focus for a second of a murderer and a, like an adulterer blackmail victim i don't know man like not the murderer part Ugh, 2016 i don't know i know, I know. <laughs> yeah and then somehow like all like, like just with four days to go not counting early voting which you know but it's like but you you have a feeling that it'd be like oh Oh, he was an adulterer. Eh, whatever. Just grab him by the p word. It's fine. You yeah, know, whatever. At this point, they they still would have probably voted for <laughs> voting for him because they vote along party lines. Hey oh, yeah, hey -oh. <laughs> But uh, Governor Monroe and uh, was it Governor Samuels? What are the like? What? Are, but in a perfect world, everyone's like, oh yeah. But this guy who actually is like kicking the shit out of people. Let's like he's the Jesse Ventura. Let's just vote for him. <laughs> you know, like it's fine. But somehow, Randy wins. 
and a yep. landslide, which is like, you know, by the way, if you had told me to like, I just, I would vote for Raven shadow right now, please. And thank you. Like I would Heck do yeah. that. Yeah. Right. So yeah. So <laughs> yeah, the whole thing. So he ends up like winning like the presidency and then he, I, I think it's funny, but also again, in hindsight, like I understand in hindsight, in the terms of the story, it's a bad, it's bad news, but I like the idea is like, he chose his vice president as being his biggest like Republican critic. Because, mm-hmm. like, what's the best way to sideline somebody, make them vice president, which um, <laughs> I would argue has been true most of the time. Except Dick Cheney. <laughs> yes. And also Pence, right? I would also argue he was running around being terrible. But our current vice president, um, I appreciate, like, what? We don't hear from her No, much. we don't. <laughs> oh, you had a platform. Come on. Anyway, so yeah, like what's the what's the best way to sideline somebody and make him vice president, which I thought was really funny, but that was like it was his undoing, right? So then Mm -hmm. that same night, uh John and Chandra finally get together, they hook up, you know, good on them, right? But then I like that like Randy waited one week to call a joint session of Congress, like of like to get everybody in, right? And then he's like, Hey, nobody else is in here other than us officials. Um, they could watch via camera, and I love the image of poet and John just like just being like, "Nah, we're good for two hours." I'm gonna yeah, we're <laughs> we're gonna cut off we're gonna cut off all things. So basically, he's isolated all the powerful people in our government in one location. Yeah, and he's going to reveal everything he knows. Yeah, he's spilling and, the tea, right? And yep, like, and he's yeah. basically saying, "It's like, look, I know all of this, and more importantly, I can prove all of this." And it says it took him about 21 minutes and 15 seconds for them to relent and uh, pledge him his entire support, their entire support. I mean, if only, right? Like, because, you know, because like it's it's, it's not a matter of knowing where the bodies are buried. Those bodies are talking to like to him. Right. So it's like it is phenomenal. So then he's like, okay, cool. Um, I'm going to bring these other specials in that like, you know, they can handle shit. Give them like, let, let me like, we're going to protect the country for a year. And he goes to the military. He's like, Hey, no new spending for a year, which I mean, to, that's singing to my heart right now. Like so much, like I uh, just, oh, and definitely sets up as, as soon as he said that, it's like, Oh, that's going to bite him in the ass. <laughs> Speaking of a bunch of people that are not terribly willing in order to give up any amount of power. Yes. Uh, when you reach that level and particularly the connections they have with the broader military industrial complex, I know I sound like some sort of guy ranting on the edge of the docks, but literally we had an incumbent president warn us about the dangers of the military industrial complex way back in the what? Sixties? Fifties? Um, yeah, this is very much a real thing, man. This is where we get into territory where again, it, Reading it now, it it kind of feels a bit pat, and it kind of feels like a bit quick. You know, again, these quick solutions in order to make the world a better place. And it is them kind of steamrolling over time a fair bit, fair bit because this is implied that it takes at least three and a half yeah, years because he's yeah. approaching his second term when the narrative kind of slows down again. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say some, some of the actual uh, things that were suggested were very, very smart, particularly the idea 
about uh, factories that are drawing upon fresh water reserves. Oh, yes. So it's the idea yes. that how, how do you fix them from polluting uh, waterways? You mandate, because the president has control over the nation's waterways, that their intake valves have to be downstream from their output valves. So unless they want to be using polluted water to uh, work their factories, they are required to essentially uh, cut their emissions and cut uh, cut how much pollutants they're putting into the water. Yes. It's like, well, those things are like, like, can I just suggest this now? Can we yeah, just I make mean, that's something happen? that actually could work. Yes. I mean, it just, it's obvious, right? But I also like the idea, like, like it, it is, it's shining a light on like um, how even if you stop spending for a year, the amount of excess could affect so much good with infrastructure. And right? this was like, back in what? Well, I mean, yes, it was released in 2004, 2005, but he was writing that even earlier. Imagine where the yearly military expenditure is now. Yeah, no, 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 for sure. It's like, that's one of those things. It's like, I, I didn't want to turn this like overtly political, but it's like, it is ridiculous. The amount of like blind payments that we give that versus like, oh, we got to protect ourselves. Yeah. But what about where we live? You know, yeah. like just how, well, and I, and how, I think yeah. most people, if when fully pressed, regardless of their political persuasion, readily recognize and even people in the military recognize this, the ones, ones that are honest, just how much waste goes into the budget. Mm -hmm. You know, there's ideas of various bits of technology that were approved, not because the military really wanted them, you know, the actual practical military professionals in there, but uh, because they it's in service of the economy. Yeah. You know, it's the idea if we're not building these, it's not, it's not simulating certain sectors of our economy when really it's just to give sweetheart deals into major corporations with very few of their actual workers being able to get the benefits of those big deals. And here I am ranting like I should be on a uh, shadowy meeting at the docks again. Okay. <laughs> no, but Randy's basically being like, like an FDR, like new deal type of thing of like, let's just, Roll it in, focus like internally, and that will make things better for everybody. Like, yep. you know, like, I mean, I'm not saying FDR was perfect, right? Like, I, I get that, but like, it's just, it's this kind of notion of like, fix us and then we can, we can, we can help everybody else, right? So then yeah. what happens is like, that happens, infrastructure's addressed, uh, new jobs, <laughs> unemployment goes down to less than 2%, water pollution addressed, which you mentioned. Um, you know, so then, but the it's specials also are tasked with actual national defense. Yes. Uh, Randy and Brody work every day on fixing things. Other countries are like, oh shit, this is actually working. So they actually implement things. There's actual progress, right? So then at this time we get, um, John showing Chandra, like what he's been working on, uh, the last couple of years, like his plan. And he's like, yeah, um, people can't handle their own death. And she just balls her eyes out. Which yeah. makes sense, right? Like, because he's working on a thing. We'll get to it in a minute. Um, but it's like, yeah, the world's actually like like working towards effective change. I can let somebody else know what I'm doing because what we've been given, like th this, this needs to be like you know, pay it forward. That, I yeah, think we that's we of, have yeah. an obligation yeah. beyond simply what we're doing to the world. Yeah, but we have um, the assholes that are the vice president and such. Being like, no, no, this isn't a nation of the people. Like, how dare people get helped? <laughs> well, and to a, to a certain extent, they are. There's you, and this is to the credit of Straczynski. He attempts to give them a sense of justification of why these military leaders and other people within the government would feel that this is a a representing a threat to the very notion of America. Mm -hmm. The fact that the defense has been 
overtaken by a small group of individuals. The idea that these uh, very superpowered minorities are dictating terms to the rest of the country. Now, of course, that breaks down with any sort of criticism. If you were to level against, it's like, yeah, but how much stuff? How much stuff do you guys do and not tell the American people about? And yeah. how much stuff would we actually approve if we actually knew all of these secrets? You guys are just a bunch of liars that are trying to hold on to your power. Yeah, and so I recently read some reviews of the 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 new uh, Blue Beetle film coming out, mm-hmm. and they actually speak to some of like the South American like you know like um, skullduggery that we've done. As a country. And continue to do. Yeah, well, absolutely. So it's like, like, you know, like, calm down. You like, oh, oh, we got it. We got to protect. Like, just, I just, anyway, I get so frustrated where it's like, we're a beacon on a hill. Are we? But yeah, but like, oh, we're actually affecting change and helping people. Well, that could happen because that's not the will of the people. How dare you? You know, yeah. like, <laughs> well, it's, it's not the will of the people and we get to decide what that will is. Yeah. But also like we don't get toys that can go louder and bang louder. How dare it? You know, so, yeah. yeah. Well, and the fact that they the, that this politician or the general um he likens all of the all of the actual positive progress that the specials and Randy have done, or shall we call him President Raven Shadow? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just, I, they so, they refer sure. to it as trinkets. They refer to it as you know unimportant baubles. Where the real important thing is you know our national defense and the fact that we've handed it over to a bunch of specials and all of these things. It's it's, it's very, very frustrating arguments that have been very put forward. Reaganomics of like peace through strength bullshit. Well, and again, it's part of a broader conversation of that has been presented and it's, it's frustrating how cyclical it can be because I've had the opportunity to speak to people that have these opinions and some of them actually know things that we don't, you know, they have access to certain things, mm-hmm. not that they didn't reveal any secrets. I didn't ask them about that, but there tend to be this circular argument of, well, why can't wh- or why why are you guys acting with impunities? Well, if you knew what we knew, you wouldn't you know question us about that. It's like okay, why don't you tell us? It's like well, you can't have access to this information. It's like okay, so you're saying you're protecting us against something we don't know, but then you're keeping that to yourself. And at the end of the day, the only thing that stays consistent because the danger never goes away, no matter how much money we give you and how much uh, free reign we give you, the danger is always there. The only consistent thing is you're in power. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's incredibly like, frustrating. And those and those people will never go away. Yeah. Which we've been, yes, we've learned time and time again. And as as much as like the, the, like the, the last couple issues here, which I read at the time and reading it again, it just, it hits different. Like, I'm not, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not trying to use like, like, oh, it just hits differently. My God. Knowing what we went through for the last couple election cycles, it hits differently. Yep. Like, but at the same yeah. time, it's speaking to very universal things that yes. things change and yeah, certain things hit differently, but the core critique that Straczynski is bringing up about our country, it's still consistent and it's yep. been consistent for decades. Yes. So then we find out that there's a plan in place to eliminate the remaining specials. We get into issue 23, Phoenix and Ascension Part Two, which I want to point out, by the way, that's kind of a mirror to the first arc because the, there was a three issue arc called Things Fall Apart. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, obviously Straczynski knows what he's doing, and we appreciate oh, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So then he knows story structure. Yes. So we go you know, flashback to Peterson when they're all all the specials are sixteen seventeen, and they all talk about like 
they're all hanging out for a minute, like having a nice night under the stars. And it's like, you you could live forever. Like that's the whole thing too. It's like, but you talk about specials like, Oh, we could live forever. No, no, no. We're all 16, 17. We're going to live forever. Like Exactly. And again, reinforcing the, that theme we keep bringing up as special as these people are, they're still just people. Yeah. So then I thought you'd appreciate that. Um, they, they, people are looking up the night sky and they asked Joshua, AKA sanctuary. What do you see? And the quote here, I just, I, I love, cause he's like, I see good. And I'm sorry. I see good. And I wonder, uh, I see God. I wrote good. Sorry. I see God. And I wonder if he can forgive the sins. We tell no one, the ones that he knows mm-hmm. like dear, like, I mean, we already know what happened with, with him. Right. But like, he's been like, just like, he was such a, he just wanted to just exist. And it was never, he was never allowed to be him. Right. I, nope. And also the one guy's like, you're such a drag. I don't know if that was a pun unintentionally at the time, uh, <laughs> which, you know, like, I'm not trying to be like foul speaking, but you're, you wonder, you know, no, I, I, I'm sure that was a deliberate thing he put yeah. in. Yeah. Um, but then they talk about other couple of things. They asked John, like, what are you seeing? He's like, I see the other side of a dream, you know, like, so then that's when we, we fast forward to the present day where, um, like, we talk about how it's been three and a half years of change and everything's been going so good. And John's been like lamenting, like, why couldn't we get our shit together earlier? Like, it's just basically like, like we had the power. Why didn't we do this? And like, Shander's trying to like support him. And then she's also saying like, I didn't contribute enough. And this is the, we talked about this earlier. Uh, I, she's like, what did I do? And he says to her, you've shown the world a glimpse of perfection through the bars of our existence. And if perfection exists, then maybe God exists after all. Yeah, which is such a beautifully poetic way to put her powers into context. Plus the realization that out of the entire world, only John ever saw Chandra as she really was. Yeah. And as they say later on in the next, uh, I think it's in the last issue, because she was always enough for him. And yeah. it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful romantic piece that he's doing. And it's, again, it's the poetry of Straczynski. You know, I mean, sometimes he can, he can be a little bit, um, too obvious. And sometimes, yes, he can be, uh, he can rely upon the deus ex machina or kind of the pat explanation for things. But when he is on, he is so good yeah. at, yes. and so good at, at, these small moments of such a utility of dialogue as well. The fact that he could bring across so much in so few words. Yeah. And like, so I draw, I drew a parallel to that and like, um, um, forgive me for that. I'm going to do a brief aside. Um, we recently revisited, um, where is everybody on uh, mm, yes. highways with the very, very first episode of the twilight zone. Uh, Serling had a way, Rod Serling had a way of like doing like the obvious punching in the face until you like, figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Straczynski has that too, right? It's yeah. like, I'm going to tell you what's up and you need to appreciate. Maybe you won't the first time through, but my God, it's going to hit you the second time through. I mean, it makes sense as he was very much a disciple of Serling. Yeah. So like, th- this is great. Right. And he's like, they talked about how much change they affected in three and a half years. So then, and then I also like, there's that brief aside of showing Randy in the white house where he's struggling because they've done so much good and how the, there's that weird, like counter to a narrative of like, you have to have some unemployment. <laughs> like, because, yeah, it's, it's like right if you have 0% it. unemployment, then the economy is booming, which means it wants to expand, but it can't expand because there's nobody there to work new jobs. Yeah. 
but it's like that kind of like, unfortunately, like it, that makes sense. Right. It like, does to a certain extent, yeah. but it also that particular political theory or uh, economics theory, uh, which I forget the name of it, but it ignores the notion of innovation That's and fair. the fact that you can uh, innovate away from or, the need to work. Or so, yeah, in theory, universal basic income, right? Like, yeah, the, yeah. You start yeah. working towards the notion of a post scarcity environment or uh, uh, society at that yes. point. But, but I, but I like anyway. that, like that Randy was like, life was so much easier when I could just destroy what was aggravating me. And they're like, they're like, yeah, but you're past that. He's like, let's not like just pump the brakes on that. <laughs> yeah, let's not be too hasty. <laughs> I love the idea. He's like, oh, this is a problem I can't punch in the face. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I love Raven Shadow. Like, I just, I think it's like he's like he's been through the ringer. He's had success, but he also feels very grounded. But he's like, <laughs> oh no, I'm president. Can I not fix everything? I thought that. It's a great moment, right? Well, we've we've talked yeah. at various points about you know the the attempts to that have been made over the years to uh, adapt Rising Stars, yeah. whether as a film or uh, as I think it would work better as a television series. Uh, assuming that you wanted to expand it beyond you know an episode per issue, which I think it, that would actually work. I would I would like to you could probably do this in like three seasons yes. instead of you know twenty four episodes. I would love just one episode that let hell let's bring in Aaron Sorkin and have him write it and. And basically, it's West Wing, except with uh, uh, President Raven Shadow. Yes. I just, as much as I know Straczynski says, like, oh, well, it's already been done before. Um, I, I think I, now that you've read this last third, I don't think this has been done before. It doesn't, but I do think you would need to update certain things. Absolutely. I think that there are certain things that even I think Straczynski would want to update. Again, readdressing some of the stuff that may have come off as a little bit too simplistic or at least not in keeping with perhaps where our slightly more nuanced view societally is at. Um, and and one thing also is, um, uh, definitely introducing a lot more minority characters in the, the specials. That's an, that's a, that's an easy layout. That's easy enough to do. No, absolutely. Right. And then you could even add like complexity. Like what if like, uh, Jason was a person of color, right? Like what if you had like, you know, Patriot, like, I don't know, like you could, you could explore a lot of this and make it really interesting. I, for absolutely. But I think, I think, um, especially now that like maybe the general public is like expecting time jumps, like, 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 like the, the, was it the first 10, uh, episodes of house, of the dragon, mm-hmm. how much of that, like was like a whiplash. This is like, this is already baked in. You could mm-hmm. do this. I can do it. Yeah. So, so yeah, <laughs> but I love his like, I'm president. Can't we fix this? They're like, no, you were too good at your job. Son of a bitch. Like, <laughs> God dang it. At which point he should have just fired all of those guys. Like he did with his original advisors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So then, so then, um, we ended up finding out that the other, like there's the medal of freedom ceremony coming up, um, that we find out that like the powers that be behind the scenes have been planning, the sinister uh, plot because they want to bring all the the remaining specials together, which is like 20 some get them located somehow to launch a device that can like, cause they understand that like, you know, a nuke could take them out. Yep. If you, if you manage to place it in just the right way and they go meticulously and how they set this up, you know, they were able to work in conjunction with Russia who also is not too terribly fond of the notion of how they lost all their nukes. (laughs) Put together enough fissible material in order to make one super nuke. And since uh, at this point Jason is dead and he he had the best ability to sense nuclear uh, material, 
they could they could hide it from the other specials with it being kind of low yield. Uh, they could uh, bury it in concrete in this in the foundation of this new Liberty Center or whatever they called it yeah. that they were they're going to be doing this thing. They are setting up this trap and it's 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 pure hitchcock at this point you know hitchcock talks about the notion of suspense it's not suspense when you have people sitting around a table and just a bomb goes off yes it's suspense when you let the audience know the, the bomb. bomb is there but i also like that we see like the the pre-planning it's like oh this party <clears throat> republicans that were like oh we've introduced us uh, legislation that the other side <clears throat> democrats aren't agreeing with um and like that we could stage a walkout and nobody's going to question us. Like, nope. and then also it's like, they're like, yeah, but what about those that are on the fringe? They're like, nah, guess eh, what? Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Collateral F damage. F them. You're right. You know, Oh, Kevin McCarthy, if you're going to go, you're going to go. It's fine. Whatever. Anyway. So maybe he's too cucked anyway. Sorry. Anyway, oh, so I, I'm not wrong about that anyway. So, so yeah, we end up getting this whole thing where there's going to be this metal metal of uh, freedom ceremony at this new complex that all the specials showing up to Brighton company, which again, I think Bright's done dirty in the second, like the third half of this, but whatever. Yeah. He's kind of sidelined for a lot of it, <sighs> it's, uh, yeah. but, but it's all the specials except one, one, right. Cause John's like, nah, I gotta, I gotta babysit this thing that we're not talking about yet. And then Chandra is like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go. And he's like, go get dressed in the night. He's like, I love you. And she's like, well, I'm not ever leaving you. And you're like, well, of course we've seen, <laughs> We, you and I are both savvy enough reading media where it's like, I'm never leaving you. Oh, she's doomed. <laughs> yeah, she's leaving you. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I oh. promise I will never die. I will never. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a wonderful Team America reference. Thank you for pulling that. Yeah, You're welcome. <laughs> so then we get to the Medal of Freedom ceremony. And Randy's given this amazing speech. I also do like there's that chummy interaction between what's left. I do kind of like that bright kind of like, you know, bust the chops of Lionel a little bit. Cause Lionel's like, Oh, I hear whispers. He's like, are we close to a cemetery? They're like, we don't know. And he's like, yeah, they're saying you're a party pooper, which is like, it's a little bit where it's like, even though the dread seeping in, it's like, they've known each other for years. Mm -hmm. like I mean, yeah, they grew up with each other and we even get to see Willie again. Yes. Right. So then I, I'm pretty sure that's Willie. I think it's Willie. Yeah, again, right? there's not too many black people in Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, but I think, I think if you, if there's an update, I think he'd be aware of that. Like, you know what oh, I mean? Like, yeah, I am, sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so then, uh, so then we have the big speech and then I do appreciate that the moment when the, like when the debt, like the device turns on, Randy's like, shit, this is bad. And then. We get here. Here's the quote that finally that Lionel can hear time to rest now and join us all in caps. Be at peace. You've done all you can time to rest now. And he's like, shit, there's a bomb. And you see bright being like, get the civilians out. And then like, it is dead. Horrific. Yeah. Yep. And then we even more that I mean, uh, and again, the symmetry of it, when we see the nuclear blast go off, it's modeled just like the, and it's kind of has these bulbous protrusions off of it, just like the initial uh, blast that gave them all its power. And then we follow it. The fact that all of this energy from these, these 19 specials 
it all goes into it and we see it go planet wide. Yeah. That and that's the last image of it's just like, oh, did they just blow up the world? Yeah. Did, the, did, did the planet just go over easy? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of what the looks of it. And it, that was the moment I was just like, Jesus is because again, when, when this series started, we saw poets and we saw him in a grave, uh, you know, looking at the grave of everybody and it's implied some, something terrible had happened. And it's the idea of it's like, man, how dark is Straczynski going to take this? Is he going to essentially nuke the planet and leave Poet alone? That's where my mind was at at that point. Well, and you're e- right. even for the next couple pages. Yeah. So that's that gets us to issue 24, uh, Phoenix and Ascension Part 3. The March, final issue of Rising uh, Stars. Yeah, March of 2005. Let me, let me roll back to my notes here real quick because uh, we've talked about this already, but I think you'll appreciate this. Um, the first issue was August 1999. <laughs> 24 yep. issues that went six years, right? Like, sorry, not six years. That's um, yeah, almost six years. Almost six years, right? And I'm telling you, man, like, I waited forever for these last three <laughs> like when they came out. So anyway, yeah. So well, this happened. The the detonation happened. It looks like the the Peterson like flash recreated uh, over easy, but I, but then the government's like we're waiting two hours before blaming anybody else. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just it makes me so mad about like how much we know about like the you know the 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 um the stupidity like like not stupidity but like the purposeful misalignment of information that happens now. Um, yep. And how like oh we purposely. You know what? We set a, like a device off on like our home soil. We're gonna find somebody to blame. It's a false. It's a literal false flag. And yep. how they purposely waited two hours, but they had no idea what was going to happen next. Because somebody comes running in, they're like, "Oh, the exploding is spread- spreading," and someone's like, "Oh shit." Did we ignite the atmosphere? Oppenheimer. Uh, Oppenheimer. <laughs> Barbenheimer. Anyway, so no. Um, so the whole thing spreads across the world. Um, but I like there's the one the one line here because we see a revisit of everything that happened before. Uh, Credit Straczynski, it said bridged male and female. And we see Sanctuary at the very end of his life, right? Before he took the bomb, the mm-hmm. missile at the end of uh, the Battle of Chicago. Uh, but then the power goes to every being on the world for 24 hours, healing the sick, no hunger or thirst for the world. Um, and then everybody like, like feels the pain of everybody else and the misunderstanding or the understanding of where they're at, the compassion that they should have for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where, again, I, I was expecting things to go much darker in that, but again, it reinforces what I'd said before that ultimately Straczynski is an optimist and it's the sense that if you give people that touch of the divine, that the better angels of our nature will shine through Yeah, that he could have taken this story in a very dark direction and it definitely, I mean, it seemed right from the beginning that it was going to be a tragedy. And it, it is, uh, there's a lot of tragic elements of this story. But ultimately, Straczynski is telling a very hopeful story. Yeah, no, it feels like the anti-Watchmen at this point, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the idea that instead of uh, instead of people becoming better because they're tricked into it by fear, it's the idea that they become better because they're given a sense of something greater. And I, I, I remember reading a, um, 
a Silver Surfer comic that it was something very similar, that it was supposed to be one of the last Silver Surfer stories. Um, I'm trying to remember when it came out. I think it may have been like an, an 80s hardcover uh, when Marvel was putting out one shots and like oh, uh, deluxe hardcover editions with slip covers and everything. I'm, I, I may or it may have been a later Silver Surfer stories. I've read a lot of Silver Surfer stories, so I'm trying to figure <laughs> it out. But it's the notion that um, the surfer for one day extends his power cosmic to the earth and people can see as he sees with his cosmic awareness and it fundamentally changes the world. It's a very powerful kind of story, and I don't know if that was something that he was tapping into, but I also don't remember if it came after this. So, Fair but enough. It, it's what it reminded me of. No, but it's also like what was it? There's that um, Superman for All Seasons story mm-hmm. where it's like him trying to like do everything and show his compassion. So, like, I get that. So, but yeah, like, so we get like people healed, people understanding. No one, like, I, I think this is an important statement. It's like no person killed another person for 24 hours. That that does not. Like that doesn't exclude like if there was like, you know, an avalanche that killed somebody. We don't want to get into that where it's like, you know, but no actual person killed another person for 24 hours, which is amazing. Right. Because everybody just was part of this. Right. And they all knew they all learned. It's a very um, hippy dippy type of thing, which, again, I'm not against. It's a very you talk about Straczynski being an optimist. He grew up in a generation previous to myself Mm -hmm. of like we can we can like um not to draw this too much out, like Woodstock was almost like the thing that changed everything. And then it in kinda, theory, and, I mean, and, there's a lot of myth bit oh, building no, no. about Woodstock, but yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. But there was this whole like, you know, movement that was going and then it soured and turned sideways. Right. Like I agree with you, but it's like, there was the potential that there could have been real change yep. and maybe I'm holding it to one concert. That, that's fair. But like, you could tell there was a sea change that was potential and then it didn't happen. Uh, well, it's to me that brings to mind, you know, a classic uh, bit of writing that Hunter Thompson did in um, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, where he was talking about the wave of change that came in in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about, um, and I'm going to be paraphrasing it very roughly and very terribly, that if you stand out and look west from Vegas with the right kind of eyes, you can see where the wave break and rolled back. Yeah. So there was so much potential for the, the spirit of the 60s to change the world, and then it failed. Yeah. So so we, like that's like you can tell that there's some of this here, right? So then – after 24 hours, all um, all of them are given the glimpse of perfection, meaning like you, we could all do better, right? So then, then it left and it hit poet John hard. Fair enough. He was yeah. down for a week, which him being some conscious seven days, like that's very biblical. We get that. Um, but then when he wakes up, People were asking for direction. He wouldn't give that to him because, like, I'm not perfect. Fair enough. But also, I like that um, that many involved, like, planning this what happened with the attack on the specials came forward and confessed, which is the most sci-fi thing of all of this. I'll just mm-hmm. put it that way. <laughs> they, they're like, oh, shit. We did this because they also were touched by the energy and felt compelled to do so. But I like that. It's like many involved, meaning not all of them. <laughs> like... <laughs> 
<laughs> not all of them. Not but all a few of them. Did. Yeah. There's 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 less uh, Klansmen around the burning yeah, cross. Yeah, that too. Yeah, that's the thing too. Where it's like there was the statement of like you know the world did not change overnight. We see the clan with the burning cross with a lot of them, like a Django and chained amount of them, and then and then um, the next image we see it says or like you know. Like, you know, the seeds were sown and they would only continue to grow. There was like four of them. Like, you know, like, so yes. Like meaning like, I also appreciate the Straczynski, even during the the uh, issue of Selah, it's like, it's not going to be figured out overnight. No. But we need to see the greater strides, the greater good. And even here where it's like, yeah, Arrow is connected. That doesn't mean that like those that um like were completely like, I don't know, like, just hateful. That doesn't mean that like they're going to completely be hateful, but like the others on the fringe would like figure themselves out, which that's yeah, where the hope they can is, realize right? there's a better way. Yeah. So, so that's what's happening. And then, so then, um, John having everyone's power now was able to finish his work. And he would write at night writing a story, which is great. Cause he write, was writing like nonfiction versus poetry, which we know was terrible for him. Um, well, and it also, it, it, it implies that everything we've been reading has been his it, writing. Yes. Including the, per, the point of views of other characters, because he not only has all of their powers, he has all of their memories as well. Yes. So when the, those earlier chapters where we had different people's perspectives, it was still John writing that, but he was writing with their voice. Yes. Which I think is a wonderful masterstroke. Right. But then he, he makes like, like kind of like a Mount Rushmore, which I, it's not implied that he did the one thirteen, but he should have done the one thirteen If you're going to like, just, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, come on. Like, you know, like, like, uh, but, but whenever he was like doing Shander's face, he realized that like nobody would recognize her, but he was like, that's, that's her to me. And it was like, I'm going to put this out because that's who I knew. And I, that's who I loved. And yep. that's, and the, that's, that was actually the monument we saw at the end of issue one, oh, the shit. carved statue of all of them. I need to go back to Thank you for the callback. Yep. I appreciate that. I, I'm a bad reader and I, I'm asking you to read this with me, but yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, he did. So not only did he finish his work, his book, his, um, his structure, I'm sorry, his installation, whatever it is. Um, but then we find out that he and Brody worked on the ship. Um, and it's like this, it's, it's very, um, like, you know, otherworldly, interesting design. And the only person that could pilot it was him because the energy runs off is the energy that they all had. And that's mm -hmm. why Chandra was weeping because she realized what he was doing because like the only way this thing would fly if it's like they use the power of them. Exactly. And he knew, he knew even back then that one way or the other, he was going to be the last that was going, that was his role. Yeah. And so, the only way this was going to work is if he had everybody's power. Yeah. So then he finishes the ship, gets in and flies off. And I, here's the quote I love too. He's like, that's the wonderful thing about mysteries. If you wait long enough, sooner or later you get an answer. Mm -hmm. And he realizes that like, if this is, if whatever is creating a world or civilization and it needs like that nudge later, um, and that since we know that energy doesn't ever leave, it just changes position, right? It, it goes different directions. He understood that like, all right, well, like for all intents and purposes, earth's in a better place. We got to pay it forward. Right. Yep. And I, and just, it's very sweet and heartbreaking that as he sends the ship off, he said, I spent most of my time sleeping and dreaming and then understanding is like, um, 
I loved her. I love Chandra. And then after absorbing her essence, he knew that she loved him. He's like, I'm at peace, which is the first time John has ever been at peace. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he's like, Hey, what's going on with this? Like, you know, this other world that has kind of vaguely humanoids that play baseball and shit. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's the flash. And that's where exactly. we're at. He's, uh, he's, He's continued the cycle as it's implied that somebody else did to him yeah. or did to Earth. That he is the the this new flash that comes as a result of his his death, then thus the release of all of the specials powers, it will now be visited upon this world. And we get that mirror image of a group of aliens looking up at this flash just as we saw for, <laughs> in the first issue again. Yes. It's a fantastic bit of symmetry. And you know, Again, we knew that Straczynski had this entire thing planned out before he sat down to write it. That had to have been one of the first things he came up with, that it had to be get, end as it began. Yeah, and Peterson, all tier five. I'm kidding. I don't <laughs> <laughs> So um, I will say that, like, revisiting this again, it reads a lot better, being able to read it back to back to back. Sure. Um, I felt a little flat waiting like two years. <laughs> last three issues i'll be honest i'm like yeah oh. i mean it, it lost some of its momentum and with that time it builds up the hype a little bit more i could imagine yeah and it's the ending was something that it wasn't like it was a big revelatory shock and it just one of those whoa blew my hair back well i don't have hair but i have a beard <laughs> um it blew my beard back it, it didn't do that yeah it, but it was a satisfying ending because it had that symmetry everything built towards a payoff could certain elements of the story, now that I finish it, been stronger? Certainly. But the overarching plot that he wanted to tell, and I, I spoke to this when, you know, even we were taking the uh, very early on in our conversation of uh, volume one, where he did the pivot of revealing who the actual murderer was, and it was a surprise. And my expectations were subverted, and I knew I need, just needed to go along for the ride and trust in his abilities as a storyteller. Now that I've finished it, yeah, his trust is 100% justified. It was a fantastic story. And I do think some of the negative criticism that I've read against it may have been predicated from what you were saying, people that were reading it monthly. Yeah. And there was that big gap. And they were anticipating this big, big thing when really what he was delivering was a narratively satisfying story that may not have, you know, been the definitive statement on superheroes or the definitive sci-fi epic or opus or what have you. It wasn't that, but damned, it was satisfying. Yeah. Because even when you got the highs, which are there and they're earned, like you're right. Like, I think that's like, it pays, it pays the majority off. And like, and if, if you were paying attention, you like, you're meaning like, it was in front of you the entire time where this is going to go. And yeah. it's like, that's what I'm saying. Like I, I'm like, so I'm going to put it to you again. Like, I you know like just this whole journey, I know you read the first, the first arc and now we've gone through the other two. Um, where are you at with this? Like, I loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved it. If it, it once again, reinforces the fact that I really need to read more of J. Michael Straczynski's work, mm-hmm. but it also provides you with something that you seldom see in the in the field of comic books, particularly superhero comic books, a complete story. Yeah. So so much of superhero comics are serialized stories that are meant to go on 
forever. It's the idea that we will eventually die, but characters like Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Wolverine, what have you, they will always go on. They've, they've, in many cases, the majority of the people I've just named, they've outlived all of their creators. I think there might be one or two guys that contributed to Wolverine who are still alive, but everybody else, <laughs> they're dead. They've yeah. outlived their creators and they're eternal. And there's, there's, there's a joy to that. You know, the idea that you can come back and, you know, you, these characters will continue the new stories and what have you. But there is a, a point of satisfaction that comes from seeing this serialized trope and storytelling tradition transformed into a complete narrative. It's the same kind of appeal that Watchmen has in its own right. But the major difference is the fact that J. Michael Straczynski, as I keep harping on in this particular segment, he is an optimistic storyteller. He believes in the better angels of our nature. And to see that played out in the context of this superhero narrative, it was a fantastic thing to see. Yeah, and like when I was telling you when I, my first introduction to the series was before I read Watchmen. Mm-hmm. So this was my Watchmen before Watchmen and I think does that make more sense now like in terms of what you Very much before? so. Yeah, very like, much so. That's why I'm hoping people understand like oh shit, like I read this before Watchmen and I'm like, "Oh, Watchmen is like just a kick in the dick. We're done now." Like, yep. you know, like, <laughs> and I've always sung the praises of Rising Stars and I was hoping people would like read it. You know, like it's just it's one like I understand it has its fan base, rightfully so, but it's like, I can't like, I can't convince people good. Like, Oh, you like comics and things like you getting in because of like the cool movies and stuff. Check this out because it's like, it's, it's a different take, but not. No. Like, and it, it is very familiar. But then again, we're also reading it with the eyes of people that are in growth or deep into the into kind of superhero narratives yes so we can see the points of departure but also the points of similarity and i'm i'd be curious how this would actually read to somebody who was i don't know 14 as i was when rising stars started Mm -hmm. i mean granted they would have the advantage of being able to read it and still be 14 by the time it finished (laughs) no like i was telling you i was like i was um 2021, 22, when I picked up the two, uh, like the two first trades. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, whatever. It's like, like, yeah, it's just, it makes me wonder. Like, it's just, I think this is like one of those things. It's like, I feel like it's required, required reading. If you like comics, meaning I'm not going to judge somebody if they've never read it. Like I get that because it's kind of like, it's not an unknown, but like you got to dig to find this. And yeah. I would also say like, um, this and then I would challenge you that at some point on your show, talk with over, then once you get through your great unwatched pile, which would be probably what, two years or whatever. Well, um, I'm down to 69 nice <laughs> titles in that. Nice. But that's assuming I don't buy anything else. Fair which, enough. You I, know me. <laughs> like, I would like to challenge you, maybe on one of your sides. Like, I have Midnight Nation, which is another Straczynski like, graphic novel. Like, it's like 12 issues. Mm-hmm. Like, to maybe do that. Like, because I know that you really, really want to dig into more comic stuff. And, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, like that. And then, like, I don't know, maybe some of his Spider-Man stuff, because I loved his Spider-Man run. I well, like up to a point, I get it. People talk about Brand New Day, but his, oh, his original run is so good. So good. It's something I definitely want to do, just like I want to finish Babylon 5, which I haven't moved on to. I I need need to watch all of it. Yes, I'm a bad bad Straczynski fan. But anyway, yes, yes. (laughs) On a similar note, uh, I was bugged that I couldn't remember the name of that Silver Surfer story that this reminded me of. So I looked it up, uh, just kind of based upon what I remembered of, and I was able to find it. So it was a four-issue miniseries that came out in 2007. So after Rising Stars, 
uh, called Silver Surfer Requiem. And uh, it's about the Silver Surfer realizing he's dying. So one of his last actions is to unleash the power cosmic upon Earth to give people a, a cosmic sense of the world. And I remember the and looking at it, I remember the amazing art that was done by Isad Rebic, who's a fantastic illustrator. It's 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 uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. Very Alex Ross in its uh, construction. But even the art, um, the writer was J. Michael Straczynski. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you did, but you didn't so know that. He actually you revisited didn't know that. Yeah, the themes of rising stars using Silver Surfer. Oh, shit. That's an amazing twist. I love it. That is it's amazing, so right? Like, isn't it amazing to be like, it's the thing I love. Oh, shit. This that is where was, we're at now. <laughs> well, it's, it's like when I, it's like when at a certain point when I sat down and realized that, huh, most of the movies that I absolutely love, they're all directed by John Carpenter. <laughs> Before oh. I paid attention to that sort of thing, you know? Look look at that twist. That's an amazing twist. I love it so much. So, Wasn't it, though? Oh, God, that's amazing. So, <laughs> so yeah, everybody, I know we just, like, we spoiled all of this, but even if even we spoiled it, it's an amazing journey. And I, I adore this series. And thank you, thank you, thank you for, like, taking the ride with me because I really wanted to get into it. And just, like... As much as I appreciate the art in the second half, I, like, it's funny because I kind of really, really dig the first the first half of the art. And I understand it's more like imagey top cow. I, of its time, yeah. Yeah, but it's like they both have their place. And upon revisit, I feel better about it. But like I could definitely tell at the time when I was picking up the books, I'm like, this doesn't look right. Meaning <laughs> it's not what I knew. That's yeah. not fair. But you know what I mean? Like I didn't know what I loved what I loved. Meaning, like I said, God Loves Man Kills is one of my favorite books of all time. And that gentleman, you know, did the same art where he had uh, Mike Pence yelling at Nightcrawler, whatever. Yeah, yeah, Brent Anderson, <laughs> which to me it's interesting looking at it because to me, I guess because th- his style wasn't, you know, trendy. There's kind of a a timeless quality to Brent Anderson's Absolutely. work. And it definitely is in keeping with the more serious tone shift that the this particularly this volume takes, for sure. And it, it feels better now. Like it's just it's just, I don't know. Like I don't, I don't know if there's been. Like, I'm 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 sorry. I'm gonna guess that there's uh, media that you engage with at one point and then like you come back to it again and you come back away from a different feeling about things. Like I this- hell, we just talked about pits. Come on. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm saying like, you know, like that's the same thing with this. Like I didn't, I didn't feel the same disconnect that I did at the time, but, yeah. but also to be fair, I was picking up these books, like, like was it two years apart, two, three years apart or whatever it was. And be like picking up like monthly at that point. And it felt like, oh, I waited this long for the last three of this. Like that's like, that's unfortunate at the time. However, mm-hmm. reading it as a collected story over these last three months, it is, it has worked so much better, which was the point. And I appreciate it. And again, people, please, please, please. Like, I know there's so much media out there. Um, just engage with rising stars. That's all I got. It's just, it is. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to fan. This is a hill I'm going to die on. That's what I got to say about that. And so it's so great. Yeah. So. I don't know. Maybe we should get you to read berserk now. It's only, it only has, well, let's see, uh, how many volumes is a berserk is there? Oh, wait, wait, <laughs> An you're, insane amount. you're talking to me about page count and how yeah. long to read something. <laughs> oh no. no, no, no. I'll leave that to Steve. For the talking <laughs> of page counts. 
<laughs> Though I do think there's a legitimate argument to be made that manga page counts versus a J. Michael Straczynski page counts. It doesn't, there's a difference, you know. For sure. I agree uh, with Especially that. if it's much more art driven. That reads faster. I would agree that, but okay, I'll say that. But also, I would agree that um, uh, Uzumaki was a fast read. That's what Very I'll say much about so. that. Yeah, because it's like once you start reading, it's just a bunch of spirals. It's fine. Yeah, it's you just- spiral into it. Which, by the way, they're 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 uh, oh, Netflix is doing a Uzumaki series, and it looks well, like right out of the right from yeah, the, the book. Yeah, the, the Adult Swim. Uh, yep. series. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. It was yeah, Adult, Adult Swim, Swim. Not, not Netflix. It looks like they got everything right. So we'll see how it goes. So anyway, that's going to do it. Um, like, thank you, thank you. It's been like a six hour plus journey through the series, which I think is rightfully so. Right. And so. again, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to talk about this, you know, and finally giving me the push that I needed to get around to reading it. Yeah. Uh, but it was an absolute joy to read an absolute joy to talk about these uh, comics with you. Yeah. So, all right. Before we head out, um, tell people where they can find you, which is like much more successful than myself. Please, like, please. Uh, no, if you want to hear more from me, I do a <laughs> weekly uh, film podcast called the Talk Without Rhythm podcast. Never every heard week- of it. Okay. Never heard of it. Uh, well, every week I, I put together two films that are t- tangentially tied together by a theme. Sometimes they're selected by my very generous Patreon supporters. Sometimes they come from my own muddled brain of things. I've been doing the show for a long time. Coming up on it. This is the 13th year um, that I've been doing it. And uh, yeah, the most recent episode that is scheduled to come out just a few days after this episode drops is is going to be a Patreon pick. Uh, the My patron, Alan R., recommended that I take a look at the 1972 horror film Horror Express, which features uh, Christopher Lee and uh, uh, Peter Cushing and Telly Savalas all in it. And it was up to me to find a film to pair with it. And what I decided to do, because Horror Express was a 70s ensemble film set on a train and has Express in the title, I I was going to pair it up with 1974's adaptation of Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express, which also has just a particularly stacked cast of like Albert Finney, Lauren Bacall, uh, Ingrid Bergman, uh, Sean Connery, uh, Vanessa, Vanessa Redgrave, Anthony Perkins, so many people Oof. in this movie and I'm stoked to watch it. So, okay. So in your notes, I, maybe I've, I'm going to say a thing you already know. Have you seen the creep show episode involving the first film you talked about? Uh, horror express. Yes. Is it from the newer season? Yeah, it would have been from the newer seasons. It was I like, no, it was like think- season two of uh, creep show. Um, I don't know if I even watched season okay. two, so probably not. Well, well, okay. I'll just put it this way. Justin Long's in it. Um, and okay. also, um, oh, what's her name? Uh, Janet from uh, The Good Place. Um, I've not seen that. Uh, it's shit. Anyway, um, you know what? Hold off on watching that episode until <laughs> after you watch those films and talk about it. Because well, uh, Yeah, I've seen Horror Express before. Okay, well then. Uh, okay, but so, uh, I haven't seen the 74 version of so, uh, Murder on the Orient so Express. Horror Express, like the whole thing, is, it's kind of like Creepshow, just kind of like a Black Mirror thing where Justin Long's character is able to like, he's like like this like tech bro and he's like, I'm able to, he goes into like basically like a tanning bed that can like insert him in any movie. He loves Horror Express. Oh, and, and so, so they put him into Horror Express? Yeah, and the way that they actually edit him in is fun. I'll put it that way. Um, it's um, oh, DRC. What's her name? Anyway, so the, it's his wife, and it, like, so the whole thing is like he keeps like experiencing Horror Express, and so you see Justin Long like interacting, like being like you know, kind of like like talking shit to everybody going on. Oh, that's amazing! I'm, gonna, I'm definitely gonna uh, watch that. Okay, just putting it out there. So uh, Darcy Candon, Cardin, I think it's her name. But anyway, Cardin, but, it looks Cardin. like yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like so she's the wife, and it's like the whole thing like. 
But yeah, he's like, I'm able to insert myself in movies because I'm Ready Player One or whatever. Right? So yeah, um, <laughs> it's a fun episode. So I, I've never seen Horror Express, but I seen that episode of Creepshow, which I thought you had seen. So um, yeah, maybe, maybe, I don't know, check it out before you talk about it because... I, I think I will. Yeah, okay. definitely. It's it's fun. It's stupid fun. <laughs> anyway, so, there you go. All right, there we go. So um, I did enjoy your uh, uh, Quest for Fire and Clan of the Cave Bear episode. I thought it was a lot of fun. Thank um, you. Yeah, which you should have used the Ringo Starr Caveman episode. Uh, sorry, <laughs> movie in there. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it did come out the same year as Quest for Fire. Fair so I, I did mention that that Caveman film. Yes, you did. So I enjoyed that. So anyway, everybody go check out uh, Talk Without Rhythm because it's the superior podcast. And every oh, hush, single way. Hush. Blah, 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 blah. It's, it's true, it's true, true. So that's going to do it for us this week. So, everybody, find like you can find us on Invasion of the Podcast on uh, Facebook, invadingpodcastgmail.com. Email us directly. I have a blog that's like been the last blog post was Grizzly 2. It's been a while. Um, invasionofthepodcast.com. Next week, I'm going to have a friend of the show, Richard, on. We're going to do a compare and contrast of the Stephen King short story Graveyard Shift and the film. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, I, I, I remember liking that film a great deal. Um, and I would also argue that's going to be the greater conversation next week. Um, that I think a lot of the better adaptations of Stephen King is the short stories versus like the full books. Yeah, it's it's easier. To, I mean, you are obliged to expand on some features with some of the some of the short stories, but yeah, I mean, it, they le- definitely lend themselves a lot more towards a film adaptation. Yeah, so we're gonna get into the short story, which I found was like fourteen pages versus a full <laughs> film with Brad Dourif, and also like using a, like a slingshot shooting uh, pop cans at rats. So yeah, that's what- <laughs> big giant rat king. <laughs> So I figure for like getting into the dog days of summer, a very sweaty movie about, uh, you know, like working at a, a textile, like, you know, plant, right? You anyway, see, so. I mean, as much as you push against it, man, you too are getting into the early spooky season spirit. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Anyway. Gotcha. Anyway. All right, everybody, let's go do this like for this week. Everybody have a good week. Have a safe week. In the meantime, just, you know what? Read comics. Like, please, please do it. That's what I'm going to say. And believe in something better.
We'll keep on together. 